Hello and welcome to another session of the Investigative Committee, session number 119, we call it the rule of law. This is because we are looking at a new legal approach today. I'm very interested in that, looking forward to it with uh, Renate Holzeugsen, and we're going to look at the Nuremberg Codex, which just had its 75th anniversary. It's a special day today, today and as of now, uh, we will do these meetings um, without Rainer. Uh, we are working on a solution with that. We will have to do this to carry on with the work of the committee, but I'm very optimistic that everything will bring us together and forward. Uh, one thing is very clear, we are going to follow our objective goals in the uh, examination of the virus and the risk of the measures. And in this sense, I would like to welcome Wolfgang Wodak, who is, uh, some people think he is part of the committee, he isn't as such, he is just an advisor, a close advisor though, and he has helped us a lot with his medical expertise from lots of different questions that we couldn't answer as we are medical, medically trained people, but we're just lawyers. Wolfgang, I'm happy to have you here, and I'd like to welcome our next guest right away. Dr. Renate Holzeisen. She is a frequent guest to the committee as well. She is a lawyer and economist like me. And also, if I recall it correctly, she is an auditor as well. Renate, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me well? Yes, we can hear and see you very well. Great. Uh, you brought something new. Uh, you have looked at lots of different aspects and you are um, having a lot of legal claims um, in Italy where there are the vaccine mandates for people for 50 years and older and you were also active in a um, kind of recall complaint, uh, you wanted to recall the sales license in Europe. Maybe you can give us a brief update on that. And you brought something new as well, which is very interesting. And this is a matter that you have um, forwarded as a member of the board of CHD Europe, which you are now. Welcome and congratulations to that. And as an Italian, um, as you are over 50 years old, you are also affected by the vaccine mandates in Italy. Maybe you can brief us on these topics. Well, as I said uh, several times over, we are particularly severely affected by these uh, authoritarian measures here in Italy. And that is why there are particularly numerous uh, lawsuits uh, pending in Italy. Um, there are 
numerous uh, judgments, but um, a large number of rejections of well-reasoned uh, lawsuits um, submitted by colleagues, and that is why we have to keep up the effort. I started this uh, very uh, soon after the so-called approval of the uh, mRNA so-called vaccines uh, at the European Court of Justice. I have uh, been in contact with um, uh, people uh, in the uh, Italian health service representing them because we had a um, vaccination mandate very early on for the um, health service staff. And uh, there are thousands of doctors, uh, nurses, etc., who have been suspended from work without um, continued pay. Now, now that uh, despite the enormous side effects that cannot be uh, brushed under the carpet anymore, uh, that cannot be hidden anymore, these substances uh, scandalously continue not only to be offered on the market, but even are um, obligatory for some groups in Italy, for Italian citizens. We had uh, the vaccination mandate for um, over 50-year-olds until the end of June, but all of um, the 50-year-olds or people over 50 who did not subject uh, themselves to this uh, mandate are subject to fines. That affects myself. I'm above 50. I'm over 50. And um, as I know about these substances, I, of course, did not get the jab. And so I am also uh, subject uh, to a uh, fine, um, to fine proceedings, just like all other uh, people. How high is that fine? It's not that much, it's 100 euro. But this is about um, the fact that if we, well, um, aside from the fact that for people who have just a normal income and against the background of constantly rising uh, cost of living here in Italy, particularly uh, if we consider the cost of energy alone, a hundred euro may play a major role for families, but also for uh, singles who live hand to mouth. Uh, and aside of the uh, amount charged, it is, of course, a question of principle. If we accept this, if we simply pay this fine, then we accept the first important step, and the next time, well, um, aside from that, we were all excluded from public life. I, for one, like many others, we were unable to use public transport. We, um, I, for one, as a lawyer, uh, could not attend uh, 
proceedings in court for a month because I, um, as opposed to a 49-year-old uh, lawyer, I'm particularly infectious, it seems, or particularly uh, vulnerable. So that's a complete baloney. That's another example of what this, these puppets who despise human rights, um, these puppets who are responsible uh, for all of these things, uh, the kinds of things that they do. So, staff members who were over 50 and did not accept these substances were sent home by their employers uh, without pay. They were suspended from work simply because they um, were subjected to this, uh, subjected to this by this dictatorial regime. And that is something incredible. Uh, every uh, single red line has been crossed here. And due to this large number of people who want to have their um, pay their uh, social security contributions uh, paid retrospectively, etc., etc. It is really uh, enormously important to defend their interests and that of um, the health service uh, staff and other uh, groups of people who um, were subjected to this vaccination mandate. I don't want to call it vaccine all the time. Uh, we know it's not a vaccine, but uh, to simplify matters, I'll call it a vaccination now. It is important now to make this effort uh, to end this situation, not only to clear up the past. We also know that if we don't stop this pressure on uh, the population to accept this mRNA substances. If we can stop that, then we in Italy, at least, we can predict a very hard fall and winter. And above all, we know, of course, that the new generation of so-called vaccines that are to be given to people are uh, mostly made of these types of substances. That's the plan, of course. So uh, now that I'm um, uh, maintaining a number of law uh, cases, court cases uh, on behalf of people subject to a vaccination mandate, uh, I was thinking of how we can uh, overcome the situation at the national level uh, or ideally at the European level. And so I took the following step. Specifically, uh, what these uh, two um, mRNA um, vaccines or substances, uh, community and uh, the Moderna uh, vaccine, those are the two uh, most common ones in Europe, but also in Italy, the, the, vac the, the substances by uh, Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna. We have to say the following, uh, as these substances are 
at the end of the day, a nucleic acid that is injected, which then leads to a cellular expression um, leading to the production of the spike protein. These are substances that substant, uh, substantively Uh, correspond to the definition of uh, gene therapeutic substances. So we've known for a long time that there are de facto no vaccinations, that this is mislabeling, i.e. a formally uh, misdeclaration uh, in order to circumvent the much tougher restrictions on the introduction of um, medication for novel therapies, which would be um, applicable to the uh, gene therapeutic uh, medication. That's a fact, and uh, we uh, explain this uh, in our complaint. But aside from this uh, incorrect definition of these substances, which are no vaccines, we can see that on a daily um, basis, the people treated with these um, substances continue to be infectious, and the studies show that they are particularly subject uh, susceptible to uh, further infections but aside from this european legislation is such that independently of the formal definition of such substances the eu legislator requires that before uh, such substances uh, are launched uh, to market and before they're used and applied with healthy people uh, in large numbers. And this is done, um, including even small children. They're even used in children, as we know. Three studies must have been successfully concluded i.e. a study on uh, gene um, toxicity, uh, on cancer, um, cancerogenicity and mutagenicity. And these three studies are necessary because these are novel substances and the fact that it's uh, that they are novel substances has been proven and it is clearly shown by the decisions taken by the EU Commission, which, based on the scandalous uh, assessments by EMA, call these substances novel substances, um, because they are substances based on uh, nucleic acids, on uh, mRNA uh, basis. And uh, this is the um, wording they use for uh, approval of the substances. But EU legislation requires novel substances to um, have undergone these three studies that I mentioned, particularly as we're speaking of substances here, 
whose uh, mode of action corresponds exactly that of uh, gene therapeutic substances. And EU legislation expressly requires through the appropriate directives, and I won't give you the uh, figures and the numbers now, but um, I can publish them if needed, um, but the appropriate um, regu uh, regulations, uh, one from November 2007, express expressly requires that substances that have this type of mode of action, uh, independently of whether they're novel or not, the uh, EMA committee for novel medication uh, for the purpose of novel uh, therapeutics be involved. And this committee is composed of experts who have a specific knowledge um, for ascertaining uh, the genotoxicity, carcinogenicity, and mutagenicity of such novel medication. And we know, sometimes based on the uh, approval documents themselves, sometimes from scientists who um, semi-officially uh, wrote to EMA in order to find out where these car uh, carcinogenicity studies um, are available and what the result has been. And we know that these studies have never been performed. In the very uh, short period available for um, market approval of these substances, these studies would not have been possible. At the same time, not least uh, based on a, a study uh, published by the University of Lund in Sweden a few months ago, we have the clear proof that these uh, gene techno uh, technical products lead to retrotranscription of RNA into uh, the DNA, i.e. an insertion of this alien uh, RNA into the German uh, into the human genome because something or in other words something synthetic something alien to our uh, system is introduced to our uh, system this RNA that can retranscribe into the DNA that is something that, that leads to something that we as uh, human beings never uh, evolved ourselves. And so it's clear that this means this can lead to genotoxicity, which increases the probability of uh, carcinogenicity. And we also risk that future generations 
will have a modified uh, genetic uh, setup that isn't uh, equivalent to what we used to have. And that is um, the worst possible scenario because the um, long-term effects cannot be judged in any way, shape or form. So, in other words, never should such substances um, have been approved without intensive in vitro and uh, then clinical studies on this aspect for a generally healthy and gormless population. Even applying so-called vaccination mandates on this population. So we are in the midst of an incredible violation of the Nuremberg Codex, because here the health and lives of the world population is being tampered with, because we know, even from official data, that there have been many deaths and many, many other severe side effects, but those are only the short-term effects. This has nothing uh, to do directly with uh, the failure to perform these studies. These studies that were never performed must make us fear the worst uh, in the mid and long term. And a limited appro approval, a restricted approval of a medication of this type can never be applicable to the entire population because if so, such medication can only be used as an ad additional, maybe a final uh, attempt at treating, of treating um, cancer patients where the um, balance between risk and potential benefit is a different one, but never for a gormless uh, population um, to fight a so-called pandemic, which we have uh, learned uh, to be a pandemic, particularly knowing that these substances were approved um, bypassing all clinical studies and uh, preliminary tests required um, to test them on uh, the general population. And that is really madness. So what I did was is the following. In my um, property as a uh, member of um, the Board of uh, Children's Health uh, Defense Europe and an Italian citizen of um, over 50 years who is uh, subject to this vaccination and uh, mandate uh, requested uh, the disclosure of the documents submitted in the context of the um, legally required um, verification of genotoxicity, carcinogenicity, and mutagenicity um, 
to the EU Commission, uh, represented by Ursula von der Leyen and um, uh, the uh, Commissioner responsible for our health, at least theoretically, as well as the people um, in positions of responsibility within EMA. And I also sent it to the uh, Italian authorities responsible for public health. So I sent it to them as well. So uh, Italian health ministry, our um, highest health uh, authority, Institutus Superiore della Sanità, um, and our medication authority. The Italian authorities had a uh, term of 30 years to respond to my request to uh, disclose this documentation. Um, and let me open a bracket here. Uh, specifically for the uh, approval of Cominarty uh, by Pfizer uh, Cominartic and by uh, the vaccine uh, by uh, Moderna uh, for application to um, young children. And we know that Cominarty can be used um, for children uh, um, over five um, and the Moderna um, vaccine for children over six years and the Italian health ministry expressly declared that they can see no risks in the application of these substances with children. And I also specifically pointed out as the chair member of the board for Children's Health Defense, I referred to exactly these documents and pointed it out to the Italian health authorities, requesting them to provide that information for that three types of studies that I mentioned, which are mandatory before bringing these substances to the market. The um, time of uh, 30 days has passed without these documents being presented. They have the right to not only look at it, and we also have the right to take copies. I filed this application on 22nd of July by a registered letter and the term has expired. And this is why next week I will address the respective Italian administrative court, which is a central and which is in Rome, competent for central Italian authorities. And I will file a complaint to submit this information and this documentation. Um, as the European authorities are concerned, I sent this maybe you can show the application if the producers could uh, show the first page where we can see the dis different addressees. This application, as far as the European bodies are concerned, it was, amongst others, sent to the respective responsible people of the EMA commissions and first uh, from the 
respective commissioner for health, as well as for the responsible people of the EMR, we got the answer that within of 15 days, as required by the EU law, one would present an answer. And before this term was over, I got a second answer that with respect to the complex structure of the responsible people um, and the type of the documentation required, they would need more time. And that is why they requested another term of another 15 days. The EU legislation altogether uh, foresees a maximum of 30 days to respond to this kind of inquiry. That means we had uh, we have the 22nd of September as a due date. And if we don't get an answer, which I um, do not expect, as usually they answer simply by saying they don't see that they have to um, publish this uh, for some reason or whatever. That is why I expect, because this documentation is not going to be available. However, whatever it's going to be, um, I will then file a uh, complaint of annulment and I take action for annul annulment in the European Court. As a group, we, as we are confronted with these substances because um, our EU member states have the permission, we have the right to know whether for these so-called COVID-19 vaccines, these substantial studies, not only substantial for us, but for future generations, um, if these studies have been made, yes or no. In my case, however, as I am an Italian citizen, over 50 years old, and this is why I'm subjected to this infamous Kojak-19 vaccine mandates. Um, I have additionally to the general right um, to access the documents of the European organs as Article 42 of EU legislation of the Carta of the European Basic Law foresees it. I have the right to look at my administration files, that is paragraph 41 of the Carta um, of the Basic Law Carta of the EU, at this point where a member state in execution of the approval declarations of the EU Commission in the context of the EMA, in the context of the centrally restricted approval, not only leads it to the market and beyond that also by law, um, forces the citizens to get these uh, experimental subjects uh, substances injected. This is a so-called proceedings wherever I, as a citizen, I am asked 
to subject myself to this type of treatment under the threat of a punishment, that means I have a very qualified uh, right here um, to get this. And less, just like all, not other, or the Italians, but the European citizens as well, who are subjected to a COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Um, this also applies to certain uh, professions in Germany as well as other countries as well. So what I did here as an Italian citizen is something that any other EU member state can do also parallel to the respective national authorities as well as the respective European authorities. And I do think, and we as Children for Health Defense have taken this approach um, to um, publish the information. We published this in English and in Italian. We published it as well if because we think it is necessary apart from the necessary information for the european uh, citizens as well we do think it is um, helpful to have parallel uh, claims for um, the publication of information from different countries, the pressure on EMA and uh, EU commissions has to be massively increased because we do know that the EMA also already approved the approval of the uh, so-called Omicron adapted uh, vaccines without any other additional study. And so, in su as such, that is scandalous, but it is even worse uh, in the knowledge that these fundamental studies are still missing. So that means I can only ask my lawyer colleagues and all other EU member states to file these applications in the name and on behalf of the respective citizens who have a COVID-19 vaccine mandate because that um, qualifies them, that entitles them to get that. And we should start this defense attack now from Europe. It is and we as children's defense are going to inform everybody continuously on the development of the proceedings next week we are going to file our recurse um, in rome against the um, confidentiality of these documents and after the 22nd of September, I will 
um, do that, I file that um, suit of nullance again for the European um, Court. So, this is the context of this claim. I would like to point out that surely Dr. Wolfgang Wodak, who together with Michael Palmer, Shukhari Bhakti, has um, written their report, which my complaint or my application on disclosure of information um, summarizes this scientific report, what has been known for decades, for example, with respect to the risk of the retrotranscription of RNA to DNA, um, and that corresponds uh, to the scientific literature, if I recall probably from the 1970s, so we know this for many decades that this risk is present and if we think that these substances by now if uh, we follow the ideas of these regime puppets um, it's not only done once twice or many times even um, during a year in short intervals that they have to, um, that they want to give this to the innocent people and still want to continue with that, uh, not only with respect to the, uh, to the um, COVID-19, which is going to be over one day, but now we know that um, we get the so-called combi vaccines for flu and COVID-19, and that is means there is more of these experimental th gene therapeutic substances against any type of disease um, which are just being developed uh, or any type of viruses. Um, that means this is utter madness what is going on if you look at this. And this is why it is urgently necessary now to take concerted action on the European level. And one more thing, what we are doing here does not only have a relevance for the EU as such, I also inform my Swiss colleagues, um, like the estimated uh, lawyer Philip Kruse, and there are uh, colleagues in the UK as well who are looking at this in respect, with respect to their specific national legislation. But beyond Europe, this also has a meaning and relevance because these missing major studies of these three types um, are something that also concerns US, Canada, Australia, and the rest of the world, wherever these highly risky experimental substances have been vaccinated. But in Europe, as we are at the top of this uh, list, and let me re refer to the Nuremberg Codex again, which is 
strongly violated here. Uh, that is why we absolutely asked to slam on the brakes here. Well, thank you very much, Renate. I find this great, um, a great approach. You're uh, specialized in European law, of course, so you know this very well. So this uh, really um, makes my uh, fingers twitch. Um, I think I'll spend the weekend uh, preparing such a lawsuit as well. Um, so what's happening is that we're uh, actually cornering them ever more and uh, it is becoming uh, ever more obvious that uh, a number of uh, precautionary measures have been neglected here and we have to consider that um, contrary to the US we have the precautionary principle in the EU so uh, we have higher uh, compensation uh, claims um, where um, and in, uh, in the uh, lower uh, compensation uh, claims in the US it is easier to launch this sort of thing to market and um, if um, you're not uh, careful then um, uh, people can sue um, the uh, the manufacturer um, so in uh, Europe things are uh, tested and uh, studied much uh, better so that if uh, something goes wrong at the end of the day, um, people have uh, lesser compensation claims if they lose a leg or whatever. Let me add one point, Viviana, uh, to maybe clarify the motivation for my colleagues who may not have moved forward so much and fight against this. Now, the great number greater number of lawyers are going to go for this when they see that they can make some money with it but the point is that in the instance where the producers and uh, have not proven that these substances are not especially risky for cancerogenity or in that moment that when people who are who have been treated with these substances now get vicious tumors and we do know unfortunately that uh, there is a lot of turbo cancers around that's another bracket and let me come to a very uh, specific legal issue. As the EU legislation mandates these studies prior to bringing these substances to the market, and as these not, have not been done for people who now, after the injection, um, have a tumor, they can claim liability not only against the producers, but also against the authorities who approve the substances and the um, burden of evidence is reversed in this case. Uh, so that means um, that if the respective studies that had to be done before 
bringing a product to the market, applying it to the whole uh, population, including the children, without these, and still carry on um, pushing this with respective uh, COVID-19 vaccine mandates. And there's going to be more vaccine mandates for so-called viruses or whatever else. There is a clear, uh, the, the burden of proof is clearly on the authorities. And I would like to appeal to all my colleagues in Europe and worldwide um, because this is especially relevant. And with that, we should start immediately to help all these people who are all of a sudden caught by cancer now, because in that case, the producers and first of all, the responsible people, uh, the people responsible for public health in the EU have to prove that this specific uh, disease is not caused by the COVID-19 vaccine, but by something else. And from my point of view, that is impossible because they haven't done the studies. And we can increase the pressure on this criminal organization, especially by now turning this into an economic topic. And we have to get the people who are personally liable and they have to be made responsible. Because what has been going on 20, since the 27th of, 2nd of December, um, since the whole uh, 2020, when the so-called vaccine campaign was launched in the EU, that is unmatched as yet. Incredible. I, I really find this is a great approach, and we've discussed it already, that um, in principle we have to approach the second tier, i.e. the people responsible, but also those who directly approve this, um, because you can then uh, penetrate into the organization like with a gang if you have a um, an accessory then the support is removed and the whole uh, structure starts uh, trembling. So it's very interesting to see who could we attack here. I have a number of questions on this. Um, maybe Wolfgang, you can say something um, on this, uh, such a study that should have been performed here concerning these various aspects, i.e. the um, um, cancer, uh, genicity, uh, etc. How long do they normally take? Um, could they simply uh, take something out of um, uh, from the shelf that was done in within three weeks or so? Is that possible? No, possibly not. The companies themselves in the past decade have uh, said how difficult it is to launch a new vaccine to the market. And these were conventional vaccines and there was always uh, times of several years that they mentioned and if it's a new uh, vaccine for example 
uh, agents which should be attenuated, they uh, usually uh, mention time spans of 10 years. Now it's not even been 10 months and with a completely new technology which has never ever been applied to a human being, this is completely impossible. And in that respect, I think that uh, the proof of bur the burden of proof is going to be very difficult for the people to uh, bear, and the companies will have uh, great difficulties in clearly showing that they have followed their responsibility here. If um, as far as all of this, what was not said is concerned, I prepared a couple of uh, charts, uh, including the expertise um, or the statement which uh, Renata refers to, which uh, lists these uh, medical arguments, I could um, explain if you'd like to. Well, yes, uh, can I just ask a, a short question? Could we demand that uh, for these additional, well, variant vaccines, uh, should they require uh, a new study uh, each time? Uh, they all claim that this is basically the same thing, but if we have this uh, combined vaccines, uh, flu and other things like corona, for instance, that would um, raise additional questions because particularly uh, now that we've seen that the um, development of the disease uh, of COVID was worse if another um, um, pathogen was involved as well. Yes, it is even more important here because this is not a simple mock-up vaccine uh, for a new agent, but it's something that's what you do in uh, flu vaccines. You just look at the new agent and put uh, uh, attenuated parts of it to a mixture that's known. But here, it's not agents added but it's um, RNA molecules um, added which trigger the cells to produce um, uh, they they produce the genes in the cells to change the cells to produce a new protein against that new agent and whether that really happens and whether it happens in the human body or if the nucleic acid uh, in the cells do not uh, do what they need. We talk about RNA networks. It's not just a simple put, uh, you put it in and the cell brings out. It's a communication means within the cell. And there are quite clearly, if you uh, model up the communication, it can have lots of different um, unforeseeable reactions. So that means this new technology makes it absolutely necessary to do completely new clinical studies. And if I see, uh, as I can explain later, if I see that this is being treated the same way, although uh, it is a mock-up um, vaccine, for example, approved in England as well. And the American uh, agency said this, okay, it's the same um, uh, the same adjuvants and you can put a new RNA in. Um, I just uh, don't know. They took eight month mice and uh, these produced antibodies and uh, that was enough. Um, 
and then they they simply go and straightly apply it to human beings. That's completely irresponsible, and it's completely open what's going to happen, um, what the human cells, which communicate differently, which are composed differently than mice cells, how they're going to react to that, is completely unknown, because it has to do with immune reaction, immune memory, and uh, different ways of communication within the body. Uh, all of these are involved and whether they will react just as mice do is something that one would have to prove in clinical studies. And I think it's completely irresponsible what's been going on here. And the authorities simply follow the pressure from politics and pharma industry. Maybe the authorities have been staffed in that way that they think they can do these things as they like. And that would be, again, the institutional corruption that we can't depend on our authorities anymore. But they have been overrun by private partnerships from publics, uh, from policy and uh, um, and prime private companies, and we know that from EMA that this is the case. They are mainly funded by uh, industrial companies, and the governmental control is quite low. So, uh, quite low. So, who pays? Uh, can can say what they do, and um, that is simply a risk to all our health. Absolutely. May I uh, briefly intervene here? to point out the uh, dramatic dimension of uh, the fact that uh, such substances uh, are injected million times, millions of times over without the proper studies. In Italy, we had, of course, a large number of uh, side effects because um, we had uh, so many uh, vaccinations in a mainstream TV station, one of the private TV stations now uh, of Tilla Berlusconi, the former uh, prime minister. So this is mainstream. We had a broadcast where a group of very severely affected uh, people were shown and a, a doctor and scientist confirmed on primetime TV that they have numerous patients where even after more than 10 months, the spike protein can still be uh, shown. So we have the problem that if our human uh, cells uh, are affected by the uh, disinjection ones, then uh, like a nuclear reactor, they can't stop um, producing these spikes anymore. And that is um, something that can be shown for the people who have these massive side effects. Even this fact that this spike protein is a highly toxic substance, something that should never be introduced into the body. And here, they're injecting something where this substance can travel throughout the body, uh, by the way, uh, without any control. Let me point out that the entire world population was lied to by us uh, implying that the substance remains in the upper arm 
and that the spike proteins are uh, decomposed very quickly. The exact opposite has long since been shown. Scientists had shown it uh, previously in rat experiments. It was known that it can cross the um, blood-brain barrier. Uh, therefore, we have numerous uh, thromboses in the brain, many deaths. I um, um, have a case uh, pending um, on behalf of a, a young man, 24-year-old, who died at the beginning of last year um, after a thrombosis. And I had to intervene with the public prosecution on behalf of the mother to force them uh, to uh, perform a post-mortem. I uh, told them that if you don't do that, I will sue you for negligence. And then the um, public prosecutor um, commissioned a coroner who is um, subject to conflict of interests uh, because they are responsible also for the approval of um, the vaccine. So we um, raised our objections against this and were able to convince the court now to uh, pursue further examinations. Among others, Professor Arne Burkhardt is a leading member of our um, experts, um, a board of experts, but the fact that we had to fight for more than a year for the uh, important uh, examinations be performed on a young, well-trained, sporty 24-year-old man who died within days of receiving the uh, injection shows which uh, highly criminal situation uh, the whole world, at least the European population or the Italian uh, uh, population is subjected to. Sorry, Wolfgang, uh, for interrupting you. I just wanted to uh, briefly mention that the fact that the spike protein can be shown over many, many months um, in the body being um, produced, um, having run out of control, really, it can be shown in those um, patients who um, have severe uh, consequences that has found its way into the mainstream media. In Germany, this unfortunately isn't got the case yet. Um, uh, the situation with the media and the courts is more problematic in, in Italy. I tried to summarize a couple of things here. Some are going to repeat, uh, repetitive, but um, I took this uh, as a frame um, the statement which I worked on with Michael Bama and Zuhari Bhakti, and this is something that you are going to use in your court case. So I'd like to share a couple of background information here. So first of all, we have to see that the people should get boosted now because the protected have to be more protected against the unprotected by forcing the un, un, unprotected to uh, 
take the protection which didn't protect the protected. So that is um, what wonders me here, um, how people don't wake up that the promises made uh, are not uh, working. When Lauterbach said, this is the only vaccination, is the only savior. And then later on, they came on, it didn't work. You still have to uh, bear the measures, even if you did get, did get your jab and you get the, got to get your jab regularly. And that people do it is hard to understand. Uh, and so I think other things have to play a role here than intellectual capacity and so we have published this statement here and i want to show the three authors suha bhakti michael palmer is a microbiologist and epidemiologist for infectious diseases he works in the us currently he used to cooperate with uh um, Bhakti and I'm a, um, a doctor. I was an official doctor for a health uh, office and I also was a European politician and a German politician for many years involved in these type of topics. So what are the questions that we looked at? The questions are, is the vaccination against COVID-19 necessary? Do we need it? The second question is, are these so-called vaccinations effective? Uh, do they do what we hope they do? And the third thing is, are they safe? And uh, this is what I want to go through now. The first thing is that we get pediatric doctors who quite clearly say and of the opinion that children are at no risk and uh, that there are very, very rare cases where children are infected by corona infections and the COVID-19, uh, the newer variants of coronaviruses that uh, make them sick and they have to go to hospital in 2020 that was surveyed and it was four children who had to be hospitalized because of this. And of course, in 15 million children and adults, it's extremely few. And uh, the same applies to the whole of the literature. It is undisputed that uh, children in very, very rare cases under certain circumstances are at risk of this. And that does by no means reason any kind of vaccination. And if somebody is affected, uh, children and adolescents, there are alternatives. Um, they can be treated with little side effects and the children can be taken through these diseases without any severe impact. We also know from Asian studies and uh, studies that have been done with school children that by the close contacts in the kindergarten, what the immune system learns in the first years, all the issues that they have, they get a strong immunity quite quickly which is cross immunity, which also covers future variants and only needs to be refreshed um, very rarely. 
um, this is not only corona, coronavirus stems, but other viruses that work the same way. And then, in addition, we have this uh, fear-mongering that uh, they told the children, if you have something, if you have a, um, a flu, you shouldn't go to see your grandma because uh, she, you can kill her. Uh, of course, we know that if body, somebody has an influenza, they shouldn't go to see their grandfather or grandmother. That's quite clear, uh, saying you shouldn't do so, but that's not a reason to vaccinate the children. Um, and uh, by far not with any va uh, experimental vaccine. This is normal hygiene, which, by the way, um, we know that these viruses, the spiratorial viruses, are not only around in winter, but they are present all the year through. And we have winter somewhere in the world, uh, somewhere, all the time. And uh, so, uh, this is why it can be that uh, it's millions of people who fly around the world every day. Uh, of course, the viruses go along in the airplanes and they are spread everywhere in all regions. Uh, but um, we only get sick in the cold winter months. And there's a couple of reasons for that that we've mentioned here as well in the past. Um, so the questions are now the following. First of all, it's the question um, that uh, this vaccination, this injection is not necessary for young people. I just mentioned or explained that. Now, the second question is, uh, is uh, are these uh, vaccines effective? And it is uh, not true um, that, uh, that the figures used are confusing. Um, they refer to relative um, values, but not absolute effectiveness, which is lower than 1%. So the people, the number of people who actually get protection from the uh, injection are fewer than 1%. And they're also far-fetched because what uh, you are, uh, what we're talking about are endpoints of uh, assessment, uh, and they're completely pointless. Um, so you um, counted um, the wrong thing. We're talking about coronaviruses, uh, specific uh, measures uh, concerning the prevention of uh, corona infections. And we know that this is much um, long outdated, just like with the flu vaccine, um, we have to uh, mix again and again new uh, uh, concoctions that um, can be sold then and once it is launched to market it's uh, obsolete because the viruses mutate and uh, change much faster than these substances can be adjusted and then there are um, many uh, such we could really call them fraudulent activities or um, confusing um, activities that sold that to us I have a kind of background noise all the time that's the fan probably because it's very hot here, so let me uh, um, remove it a bit. Okay, this um, picture here is well known. We've seen it um, time and time again. Well, it's very important to repeat this again and again. These are the studies that were used for uh, approval. Uh, two groups were formed. One uh, group that uh, got this new um, 
substance and another group that uh, didn't get um, um, the substance and then they looked at who uh, how many people got uh, symptoms uh, and how many people um, had a positive PCR test and have uh, symptoms. So um, in both groups they didn't uh, develop an infection but here a total of 169 such cases were counted and with the uh, vaccinated uh, group there were only nine cases. So um, those were 95% fewer. If you compare these two minuscule figures, then this is, of course, a lot less, i.e. 95% less, um, and you have a 95% effectiveness. If you compare these two uh, figures, then you have a relative effectiveness of 95%, and that's what they tell us. But it's not true that we're protected 95% if we get this, we are protected already. And the additional protection that these uh, injections, they further reduce the probability of having a, a positive PCR test by 0.8% and that you develop um, symptoms. So the absolute effectiveness is rid uh, ridiculous and would not be sufficient to approve such a vaccine under normal circumstances. But uh, this trick of uh, um, hiding the difference between relative and absolute effectiveness um, uh, has been used by the pharmaceutical industry again and again. Um, they always speak about relative uh, effectiveness and thus boosts their uh, effectiveness. So if we uh, give this injection to uh, one group of people and don't give it to another, uh, and so there is only one case in the uh, group that didn't receive the substance, and there is no case among uh, those who um, uh, received the injection, no matter how many uh, people participate in this uh, study, um, maybe 2,000 per group, you still have an effectiveness, a relative effectiveness of 100%. And that's what they tell us. And then they take, as I said, these endpoints, the positive PCR test and uh, symptoms of a, a cold. Um, you can, of course, a, a positive uh, uh, COVID test, but the uh, cold um, um, symptoms, the symptoms of the cold may come from a different infection. And that's quite uh, frequent that uh, people have two uh, infections simultaneously. And uh, if you take a look at the studies then, and you look at what were the side effects in the studies, you find that with the uh, six-month clinical study, and they never uh, observed it for any longer period of time, there was one case, uh, one death uh, from COVID among 22,000 um, people uh, treated with a um, injection and two in the placebo group. So one more person died uh, more in the placebo group and among the uh, vaccinated, uh, one uh, less case of uh, COVID. However, uh, there have been five uh, deaths uh, through heart infarction in the vaccine uh, group and only one in the placebo group. So more people died in the overall in the 
vaccinated group than in the unvaccinated group, and that is hidden from us. That's not told us. So it's a negative balance uh, uh, total if you consider these facts. And the third thing is that a so-called vaccine is produced against something that has long since vanished. We can see this development tree here where they checked in Wuhan. These viruses were found that were um, uh, reputed to be so uh, dangerous. Uh, some said that they escaped from a lab and um, they were more dangerous than what uh, followed. We have to expect, and this is a law of nature, that um, pathogens that do not kill their host have a huge evolutionary um, advantage. Um, we uh, people have um, diseases because the viruses that infect us don't kill us, otherwise they couldn't rep reproduce. And if a dangerous virus is released, it has few opportunities um, of spreading and of uh, mutating. So that's why the virus mutates to become less uh, dangerous. It um, rejects dangerous um, genetic sequences. They're not helpful for the virus, they're dangerous for the virus. So the mutations that don't have uh, this uh, lethal effect have an evolutionary benefit, and that is why the Omicron uh, variant is uh, such a uh, um, mild disease, um, and that is the same trend as we can observe it with the flu as well. So there is um, selective pressure in the direction of less um, danger. Uh, so um, if viruses are too dangerous, uh, they can't reproduce, and that's why they become less and less dangerous, and that's what we find with the Omicron uh, variant now as well. So that means the virus tries to enter into a symbiosis with the host, is that exactly. correct? Exactly. There wouldn't be any viruses if we didn't uh, exist. Viruses can only replicate if there are people who can pass it on who can pass it on if they go to work, to school, etc. That's what the viruses need, and that's why they uh, do uh, whatever they can to make this possible, if I uh, may put it in these simple terms. And I have this uh, from the 47th week of uh, 2021 from the Robert Koch Institute. Uh, they checked what is the relationship between the viruses um, and they looked at respiratory uh, LSV viruses, the uh, human metanumoviruses, rhinoviruses, and human coronaviruses. There are different ones that are known. Uh, those are only viruses that can be tested for. Uh, there are more than 200 different respiratory viruses, but uh, there aren't tests available for all of them. They only check for those that can be uh, tested for and how uh, frequent are they. And this includes SARS-CoV-2. That's this uh, dark red part, um, uh, this small segment. You can see it's 6, 7%, 9%. 13, sorry, the purple uh, part, 7%, um, 9%, 13%. And if you uh, uh, look at the other coronaviruses, they um, um, their numbers increase much faster. Uh, for instance, uh, 48%, that's many more um, than all the other coronaviruses. 
And the question is, might there be a cross um, reactions with the uh, PCR tests? It depends on the uh, specificity of the tests. The Robert Koch Institute use um, high quality tests. They have a high uh, quality uh, demand for their own tests. That's why they always have fewer uh, SARS-CoV-2 cases than other labs show. But you can see how small the role of these respiratory uh, diseases um, is. Um, they can all have similar symptoms, by the way. So we can see how small the role of these SARS-CoV-2 viruses is here. And um, we have to know that if I intervene with such a, a vaccination, be it a flu vaccine, a vaccination, or if it were an effective anti-corona um, vaccine, we have to uh, consider that viruses influence each other. They all uh, live on the same mucous tissues. They all um, want to uh, replicate there. There are uh, effects of synergism, but also of con uh, competition. And as uh, most uh, respiratory diseases involve a number of different viruses, um, there are uh, certain approaches, and uh, this has been shown by studies made in Glasgow, for instance. Let me summarize it with a simple uh, statement that if one virus is hampered by a vaccination, uh, the others will be happy about it. So um, it um, has been shown um, that uh, people who were vaccinated against uh, one virus uh, didn't um, uh, get um, ill from uh, that virus, for instance, the flu. Um, then suddenly they developed a different disease. And uh, this was shown with soldiers, for instance, who were vaccinated against the flu, then the uh, corona um, propagated, um, proliferated. Now, the antibodies that can be formed in the blood, it's an injection that we're talking about here that is injected into the muscle tissue and it spreads uh, throughout the body. It is a stimulation through the back door, basically, because normally we encounter the viruses in our um, respiratory tracts, in uh, the mouth, nose, and the upper respiratory tract. And uh, that is the normal um, uh, pathway and we are uh, trained to uh, counteract this. There's a specific immune system uh, and um, this immune system can respond very uh, quickly with IgA antibodies. And if uh, there are uh, cross immunities as well, if there's something new uh, but similar to something encountered before, it will be recognized as well. So if we inject something and our body starts um, somewhere in the uh, body, in um, the kidney, the liver, um, or if it's uh, really bad uh, in the heart or the brain, um, uh, starting to uh, produce these spikes, um, and the immune cells then start uh, destroying these spikes, then a fight starts in our body that is dangerous, or that may at least be dangerous, which doesn't change the situation in the respiratory mucous tissue at all. We still get infected, and that's why this vaccination is pointless and useless. 
That's why they say, oh, this hasn't been uh, successful. You'll still get the uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, even though you've been vaccinated, and they claim that this is due uh, to the new variants. But even the systematic approach um, uh, doesn't seem to make sense because the uh, defense should happen in the respiratory tract. And uh, now uh, so-called vaccines are being tested that can be sprayed into the nose. That is a more useful training in principle, but it doesn't stop if I um, uh, immunize the body against one virus. It doesn't mean that I'm uh, no longer susceptible to a disease uh, and that I won't get ill anymore. Um, the competition situation uh, comes into play again here. Wolfgang, can I ask a question? If we look at these no-spray variants and that contains this RNA as well, do we have to assume the same genetic, maybe toxic effect, or is that less dramatic? There are no studies uh, to show this. Um, quite simply, we don't know. Of course, uh, this will also modify cells. We know it's not only the RNA. What also irks us is uh, the other substances that are being transport that are tr that transport the RNA. So these acids, the nucleate acids, have to be transported into uh, the cell, and you need certain techniques for that. You can do it with high uh, voltages with uh, high pressure, but it's done with the uh, nanolipids uh, that have their own toxic dynamism, uh, generating their own toxic effects. And what happens if it's sprayed into the nose or uh, there are um, uh, some who want uh, uh, this to be inhaled um, into the bronchiae, uh, what happens there, nobody knows. But again, it uh, probably won't uh, be any good. Uh, we will get ill again because it's only one virus. They want to sell us something there, and by the time they tried it, it's no longer uh, up to date. It's no longer the viruses that they're uh, targeting, actually. The uh, vaccination, by summary, uh, we could say, always comes late. So uh, this is the summary on the so-called uh, gene technic uh, technological vaccines. They are highly risky and pointless. The absolute risk of an infection is reduced by less than 1% in order to uh, avoid a single infection. Anywhere between 80 and 140 people need to be vaccinated, but they all have the high risk of side effects. That's shown by the five people who uh, died of heart infarction in this study um, that was performed, uh, the people who vaccinated, five deaths um, by heart infarction, the, people, the placebo group, one uh, death by heart infarction. So that says a lot about the uh, risk of the side effects. So um, the uh, PCR tests make no, um, uh, give no indication of whether the vaccination or the injection is helpful. The fact that uh, we have any antibodies in our blood doesn't, uh, doesn't show uh, whether or not um, the vaccine will protect us against injection, uh, the infection. Um, and the evidence seems to be to point towards the fact that the, that it is counterproductive uh, rather than helpful. 
And this is an article from Science magazine. Um, at the top left, uh, you can see uh, this whistleblower uh, who uh, spoke about uh, the fact how uh, data have been mishandled and that there were uh, some uh, fuzziness in the uh, clinical studies. But we know that the pharmaceutical industry, in particularly Pfizer, have been already um, found guilty of using publication bias um, uh, to promote their business uh, for withholding information, etc. Such uh, companies are um, valued on the stock exchange whether they make profits or not. Um, and if um, a company doesn't make profits, then the manager is replaced. So they're interested mostly in profits, not in people's health. And uh, for uh, this booster for Omicron, uh, no, they have this mock-up. Um, they simply used the same composition as ever. In the Omicron boosters, what does it include? Half of the uh, mRNA codes for the spike protein of the ancestral virus strain that emerged in Wuhan, China. Um, so half of the RNA codes uh, that are being injected are still based on the Wuhan uh, variant, and the other half uh, codes for uh, this new Omicron um, variant. So it's a new mix of uh, gene uh, of RNA uh, sequences that is normally called a mock-up. But here, they didn't perform any studies. They give it to eight mice. Uh, just imagine. And this is uh, published in a Science magazine, and they actually found um, antibodies in there uh, in those mice. And they said, okay, everything else has been unchanged, so you can use it on millions of people now. And that is, of course, something that is uh, incredibly uh, responsible, particularly um, against the background of all the um, side effects that we see. And the next question, then, are the uh, injections safe? Well, and apparently they are not, because here we see a chart which uh, spells out the British data in England. The statistics, as far as the cases are concerned, are a bit more detailed. They have a better apparatus to register this, and they looked at it here and looked at the parallels that the excess mortality in the population moves parallel to the vaccine shots administered. So this is not a direct cause, but there is a temporal correlation here that in the times where there's more vaccines administered, more people died, and not only old people, but young people as well. And this is what is special about it. It's not only the uh, vulnerable elderly people, but it's all numbers of deaths, uh, the brain thrombosis, the heart infarcts, and so on. Um, lethal um, breakthroughs of the guts have been observed as well. Acute appendicitis um, were found, and this is something that people can die of. It is a dangerous uh, disease, and uh, the nanoparticles, if they 
um, cause an inflammation in the intestines. It can happen there as well and lead to severe consequences. We know that uh, we had very bad quality control, and that leads to a couple of questions with respect to the quality controls. First is, what is the cause for the batch-dependent amount of um, adverse effects? How, if they're all the same, how come that some are more have more adverse effects than others? There is a number of possible explanations for it, one being that they are not the same. There is different substances in the injections. It's different uh, suppliers that uh, work on these. And the production processes um, may differ in quality. Uh, maybe the uh, storage temperature um, plays a role. The mRNA is very uh, susceptible to different changes. It decays at high temperatures. High temperature is room temperature. And this is why it was initially done with vaccine, uh, vaccination teams uh, with a cooling change chain of 80 degrees. That's where these uh, um, substances had to be transported with that first, and that was changed. So maybe this is something that by the storage control temperature, something may have been inside, but um, it may have become ineffective um, by high temperature. And even if it's ineffective, one sells it, it's sold anyway, the money is made anyway, and we don't have so many adverse effects. So the amount of adverse effects can be controlled simply by the storage conditions. And that is a very interesting thing that one should investigate in. I can't do that. Uh, I can only say it is a possible explanation. I also had the information from a pharmacologist saying that uh, there were um, months of storage at these uh, minus 70 degrees and uh, a second level in the fridges for a couple of days. 30 days maybe, and then uh, after opening it a couple of hours maybe. It's difficult to explain um, how this works. Uh, first of all, it was said that it can only be done at these minus 80 degrees, and it has to be injected then. And so if something had changed, maybe um, there should be uh, an inspection then. Well, they didn't know that themselves. These millions of dosages were ordered when they didn't know how to make them. They started to look for cooperating companies first, and they organized all the transport and everything. They were completely inexperienced. They were able to sell it, allowed to sell it, and they were all afraid of the pandemic. And uh, of course, it was a good chance to simply give it a go. And this is why they started to do go with the low temperatures, and so it's a lot of effort, and then maybe they loosened it a bit because, well, you could just uh, get more people infected. Uh, the um, normal medical doctors weren't allowed to do that uh, initially. It was only vaccination teams and companies who could prove that they store it cold enough. Um, and I had the idea that uh, they tried to um, circumvent 
the resistance in the doctors, and the doctors were then uh, got uh, caught over by the high uh, um, fees that the doctors could charge. So, 40, 30 euros uh, per vaccination, and if you have 50 patients per day, it's good money. And this dependency on the uh, on the batches, um, we had this uh, table. Uh, the vertical axis has the different uh, batch numbers, and then here we can see that in some charge, uh, batches, um, they have these figures. These are the cases of adverse effects uh, by the U.S. state. So it's the U.S. state statistics, the original statistics, and here we see some of the batches were quite toxic, with lots of side effects, including death. And uh, it didn't happen in other batches. Uh, this is why I came up with this possible explanation to be discussed. And then something that we uh, find out now only, that the infectious um, reactions of the body um, may not only be triggered by the RNA, but the nanoparticles also are a very new substance in itself, and they can trigger inflammation processes in certain tissues. And um, what we observed, um, we, we had to differentiate what infection comes uh, or inflammation comes by the spikes and what comes from the nanoparticles. This is something that would have to take a, a deeper look uh, in order to answer this question. And then there is uh, more substances um, that have been observed, uh, some crystallized substances, cholesterol-like um, substances, substances used for some control that have an effect on the formation of the nanoparticles, but all these are substances not allowed for use in human beings. These are substances which are being used in human beings for the first time without any studies, without any profound uh, qualification that would uh, qualify them as safe. This is not the case. We are simply the guinea pigs here. And this is what the industry wanted to do for a long time, um, to do that cheap technology provided to the mass production um, and have it uh, tested just by us. We uh, produce the vaccines and they can put the risk on our on our shoulders at such low costs. Um, um, obviously, now they want to do it for other things as well. We uh, saw this, which came out in 2021. Uh, Robert Koch Institute noted this, that here the emergency cases that uh, were reported from some hospitals, and here we see that the figure increases parallel to the uh, vaccinated people. This is the cardiovascular diseases, heart infarct, and uh, stroke, and so on, and uh, the neurological diseases, the same picture, and that was quite uh, a finding, and later on it didn't change, it stayed the same. We've seen this in the chart with uh, which came from England, where we have a parallel, this chart here, 
With the strong parallel of the administration of the shots and the uh, excess mortality, um, of course, that does not prove causality, but it does uh, point out a suspicious uh, coincidence here, which is something that one should investigate and stop uh, before carrying on, and that is not being not the case here. And then. We had this case that you shouldn't aspirate, that the um, doctors were told uh, to do this, and then we had this high number of people who simply uh, dropped off their bike or dropped on on the soccer pitch and uh, died in bed. Young people, 20 years old, um, who got the jab just a little time ago, and then they died unexpected and suddenly. And my um, suspicion was that these young people, as they're young, they have strong muscles, possibly by accident uh, were vaccinated into the vessel. If you don't aspirate, you can't um, exclude this. And if these nanoparticles are injected into the vessel, of course, that can trigger uh, severe reactions in the heart, brain and lungs. And then we have the fact um, of the immune system, which is damaged, which was observed first in Sweden. Um, There was the first study in vitro uh, seeing that the immune system, immune cells are affected in their learning process. The immune cells have to learn and adapt to new antigens. And for that, they have to, uh, the DNA inside of the immune cells has to be readjusted constantly and reprogrammed. And this reprogramming processes are hindered by the spikes. And this leads to a weakening of the immune system, whether it's lipid nanoparticles that play an own uh, an independent role here uh, is possible, but it is not said so far. Uh, but it seems to be the case that the effect of this mRNA, which is not normal mRNA, which Ulrich uh, Kemmerer showed us with these numbers, they are clearly specified to be effective for a long time. And Robert Maloney of the um, this technology again and again said they stay not only short for a couple of hours in the delta muscle and the upper arm. No, they are active for months in the human body. He talked about 50 days minimum and um, producing many, many, many more spikes than coronaviruses would do if they are inside the body with a normal rea- uh, infection. Um, I remember, I recall an interview with Mr. Rosten saying it's much more effective by uh, have the normal reaction and produce antibodies, and that is much more effective and safe than getting the shot. He said it himself. This video has, by the way, uh, been deleted from YouTube. Well, um, as Renata says, um, Uh, that uh, there is activity um, that can be detected after 10 months in uh, people with uh, uh, damages. And uh, with uh, Dr. Schiller, we uh, presented the activation of the um, support cells. So the uh, spread of cancerous uh, cells 
um, is supported, and this is over a long uh, period of time, so we don't have a small problem, but a um, dramatic situation. Yes, this um, paper published by Bhakti Palmer and myself only uh, refers to uh, the first two substances approved or used in Germany by BioNTech and Moderna. Um, and we don't uh, refer to AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson because they have a different um, mode of action. Um, they introduce the RNA um, in a different way, i.e. viruses. They're genetically modified viruses. Um, the RNA is introduced into them, and these vectors, um, that's what they're called, um, these uh, trans as transport vehicles, they um, are injected and they uh, deliver uh, this RNA um, in order to uh, get the cell to produce the spike protein. So that's a different transport mode. And with the viruses, um, they always say they can't rep uh, replicate. If they could replicate, then that would mean that you could infect other people with them. And the big question now is, and it keeps uh, coming up, and I'm always uh, confronted with it, is uh, the question of um, a transmission. People who receive this uh, injection, either uh, can they um, pass on these na nanoparticles or the spikes? That's a question that uh, is asked again and again. And um, on my homepage, um, that's wardark.com, it's easy to find. Uh, I summarize it under uh, vaccination. Um, and I uh, showed there that there is the possibility of passing this on. It is known that these substances, both the nanoparticles and the spike proteins, are wrapped into a uh, shell by the uh, cell. They're called so-called endosomes or exosomes. And these exosomes that are made by these cells uh, containing this RNA can then be passed on throughout the body as a message. And it is known that they occur in uh, breast milk, uh, that they can be detected on the mucous tissue, wherever there is, uh, um, wherever the uh, bloodstream reaches, you can have these uh, nanoparticles or exosomes or endosomes. So in uh, intercourse or um, in kissing, you can pass this on everything we know from AIDS and hepatitis. So you can uh, get this information, this RNA, and the spike protein, you can um, get them that way. There are some studies that have shown it with animals. And I don't know, uh, I'm not aware of any studies in humans. That is, of course, something that an authority responsible for ensuring the safety of medication would have to do that immediately. And based on the animal studies, the um, administration of such substances should be um, suspended immediately and the population should be informed that they must not have any intercourse for whatever period of time after the injection and God knows what, so that they're not uh, passing uh, on uh, something that we don't know exactly um, what it is. 
So there's a huge lack of uh, knowledge here. We have a very fundamental problem here in that we can't trust science as society anymore today because science is bought. It is financed by certain um, groups and we know that uh, studies financed by sponsors um, are twice as often positive, uh, yield positive results for the sponsors than uh, independent studies do. So there's a lot of uh, fraud here, and I'm uh, not only thinking of medicine here, but also of uh, agricultural biology. Um, I'm thinking of the monopolies that companies have on genetically modified animals or plants. So there are huge interests of investors who don't want all the results that they commissioned be publicized. Some companies have uh, been uh, uh, punished. For instance, uh, the um, Vioxx um, medication has caused thousands of deaths, and the manufacturer has been uh, sentenced um, to um, indemnity payments and uh, penalties because they knew, it has been shown that they knew about the problems. So uh, despite this, uh, companies uh, try to uh, make uh, a business. And we know by now that um, politicians uh, aren't unhappy about this. They have an agenda, obviously, to keep us uh, in a state of fear with all sorts of things with uh, climate change and pandemics and war and fear of nuclear disaster, etc., etc., and they uh, keep us telling all the time that we need to be disciplined, we're no longer allowed to do this, that, and the other. We're being controlled via fear. And the pharmaceutical industry said, yeah, we can do that. Um, we're happy to do that. We can try out a number of things that we always wanted to try. We can earn a lot of money. So they're quite helpful here. And we can see uh, the uh, friendships between the EU Commission uh, um, uh, Commissioner and Bill Gates, and that's not even hidden. They do uh, public-private partnerships, and they uh, celebrate this. And then all those companies that develop the immunization um, uh, passport and uh, that want to have our health data, there's a huge um, uh, industry and lots of um, profiteers who benefit from this, who uh, use their patents or collect data in order to know more than others, and knowledge is power. And all of that is happening right now. And this uh, nonsense that I've been uh, trying to uh, put into perspective for two years now and asking the right question, that is something that obviously is supposed to be continued. But I can see that we have a lot of resistance, that this is that the word is spread. The um, trust in the pharmaceutical industry is has been destroyed um, for the long haul, probably for many years to come, hopefully for many years to come. We can't trust the pharmaceutical um, industry. We need to have a lot of transparency, a lot of control, public uh, funds. It must not be in uh, private hands. Um, and this goes for other fields of research as well. If you want to know something rather than being told something, then we have to invest into this. 
we have to finance it, we need to exclude the profiteers. But we're still far away from that, um, well, I hope that ever more people realize that, that they demand this, that this institutionalized corruption that we can observe now be ended. Yeah, it's very shocking what uh, uh, potential damage the pharmaceutical industry accepts together with um, governmental bodies that may have some agents. It's quite monstrous to see this because it's human lives um, that are uh, sacrificed for private profits here. Um, <clears throat> that is very disastrous and it's very important that we do fight back. Well, these are the, the ongoing studies uh, in the context of Corona. Now, if we add the other studies where it is being tried, uh, attempted to um, sell us the uh, other vaccines with uh, based on uh, mRNA technology, um, you really get dizzy. Um, there'll be a lot of profiteering and a lot of influencing of politicians. That is something uh, that we have to count on. Can I make a legal remark on this uh, to what Wolfgang has explained, uh, which is the situation that we are um, under immense pressure um, to be expected for these vaccines to be administered on us. The legal bodies have, uh, the lawmakers have also indicated that uh, specific studies have to be carried out in order to find out what happens with a repeated administration. And this means uh, not only with respect to uh, one agent which was already replaced by something else, is uh, repeatedly using this nuclear acid. Now it is planned that we will get constantly uh, these shots against whatever um, for our human cells to be well core or well controlled in free fall, so to say. So this is a super gal. Uh, the super, um, uh, the, the biggest uh, perceptible problem. And uh, if the individual authorities don't slam on the brakes now, uh, the population has to react. We, beyond this, are responsible for all children. This is something that I would like to point out as uh, um, the me member of the Board of Children Defense, uh, Health Defense for Europe. Children can't decide for themselves. They depend on the um, decision of the parents. And unfortunately, not all parents uh, do um, inform themselves appropriately. People are still tricked. Of course, the so-called mainstream and regime media have a massive responsibility for this beside the governmental bodies uh, for this propaganda to be brought out. 
and uh, cross-funded by big pharma and big data. But what I want to say is that we are in due debt of our children not to degrade them for to be guinea right. pigs of the uh, pharmaceutical industry forever. The important thing about this is that we simply have to accept that there is conflict of interest, particularly where money is in play, there's conflict of interest, it's ubiquitous. We know about this, um, particularly when um, uh, in the resistance, when people go um, on demonstrations, uh, we know that there are people who are sent out there to disturb this. Uh, people are paid uh, for pretending uh, like they're in the uh, resistance, uh, but they do such um, nonsense there that they discredit us. And so we have to be uh, distrustful, um, as unfortunate as it is, um, in war, and this is a war of interest, really, of a small group against the rest of the population, a small group that is very powerful, that is has a lot of money, that can buy people, that can buy authorities and politicians. For them, it is ridiculous um, for them to buy fact-checkers. That costs virtually nothing. They can simply publicize things. They can send out people who confuse us. And if we uh, deal with each other, on a um, regular basis, then we get to know each other and we get a feel for it. But our trust cannot only be a hope that everything is all right. Unfortunately, we have to be distrustful. We need justified trust. And justified trust is only created if all that we do, including our financial activities, are quite transparent and um, traceable. And that goes for everyone and I'm very happy uh, to cooperate with people who don't take money for this or don't get money for this and then you don't have to think about this. That they um, um, like to um, take center stage, that's still um, part of it. But um, to use um, these opportunities to develop new markets, and even in protests, you can develop new markets, and some people are quite successful there. I can only encourage everybody to be careful and skeptical, and it's not a bad thing if there is conflict of interest. There's always a conflict of interest. All of us are susceptible uh, to uh, temptation. Um, everybody of us, or each one of us can tempt others. It's important to always question, would it be possible uh, for you to do this for money only? And then please don't get mad if that ask, uh, question is asked. And if you have conflict of interest, you're obliged to make it clear that this doesn't play a role. And you can only do that through transparency. That is something that really worries me a lot. And I hope that everywhere, including the Corona Committee and in other organizations and political parties and wherever people get together, that we learn to deal transparently with each other and not to take it um, wrong if we uh, distrust each other. That is um, something we must, must not um, take wrong. Um, 
this is justified um, to distrust people. Um, it is, um, as someone who has been on the board of Transparency International for many years and who has seen how conflict of interest can act. Well, we've seen that we entrusted democracy or what we thought democracy would, was, and we see that it's breaking up in many cases and places. And we see that the institutions that were to protect us, EMA and others, they don't function anymore. And I think we can't simply go and uh, handle our vote once every four years and think that everything will be good. I think we have to be very suspicious here. And this is why I'm very happy about new media and uh, enlightenment action that take over the job of looking uh, what others do and expose what's doing, what's going on, and uh, arrive at solutions. After all, I think that's important if we make things transparent, and only then we can see where things go wrong. Well, we can talk about this uh, finding uh, solutions that are not as uh, damaging, that are not as tempting. Um, if these things are done in a way that um, everybody is allowed to discuss about them. Um, so that everybody is um, responsible for coming up with good solutions and life will be easier. Trust is the very means that makes life possible in the first place. If I can't trust anyone anymore, I have to become a hermit. I have to go where no one else um, uh, can meet me. We rely on each other in society and society works best if you can leave your front door open if you don't have to lock your bicycle if you know it's not worth others to um, stress me um, it will come out the neighbors would notice everybody would notice and if it's uh, so transparent that it's not worthwhile um, defrauding others then we can be um, sure that you can rely on uh, things but this is not possible in Europe or in Germany it's only possible usually in smaller uh, spaces and uh, reorganizing our society uh, in a way that we have such uh, smaller um, groups. Uh, we've discussed that a lot, um, um, regionality um, and organizational structures where we can um, talk to each other where we can look for compromise. That's what we dream of. And I hope it won't remain a dream. I hope that we can try it out in uh, smaller spaces. And then you have to start where you are. And we're here in the Corona Committee. I think Wolfgang, I'm happy to quote this. Uh, also, people may think it's funny that the high priest of the Inca said we are in the transition of 13,000 years of darkness to 13,000 years of light. And I think there's something that we have to learn that there are possible that we have to rethink things and working together that's what the future is all about Rainer has such uh, good english he uh, usually says sunlight is the best disinfectant he's right yes quite so renata thank you for the presentation of this new initiative i think it is excellent brilliant i'll take a go on the weekend um, maybe I can contribute and uh, maybe I'll do 
what uh, I see what I can do. I'd like to ask everybody to give it a go. We will uh, take your sample and uh, provide it. Can you tell me where you have published it at Children Health Defense? Yes, we have published it on uh, the website of Children's Health Defense Europe. I have it on my website as well. Yeah, on mine as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you can certainly uh, find it. We have three websites already where it can be found uh, at Children's Health Defense. It's available in English and Italian. English, um, understandable to anyone. And I would like to invite my colleagues, please start a storm on unleash a storm on your national health um, authorities and the EU institutions to EMA because we have to stop this absolutely. And pressure from the masses would be helpful here, absolutely. I think it's a great job that you're doing, Renate, uh, as you are at the right place uh, for the um, court suits. That's what, the, what a that's what a lawyer needs to do. You don't just talk, uh, but you take action, and that's what I'm very grateful for. And I hope many people will copy you. Well, Wolfgang, uh, first of all, I'm very grateful for such a great team and such experts uh, like Wolfgang and other experts who, despite the dramatic situation of the last two years and a half, and despite uh, the workload, it's really a lot of work, uh, at the same time, it's a great uh, fortune to get to know so many people. I uh, used to work in the field of European law. I'm coming from uh, uh, commercial law, and I was uh, catapulted into the pharmaceutical uh, area. But I can only tell my colleagues that a lawyer, if they know their business, they should know how to study uh, the pertinent legislation and how to uh, approach a case. And after dealing uh, intensively with this so-called uh, vaccination uh, topic at the end of 2020, early 2021, always with the support of experts such as Wolfgang, I tried to make my uh, expertise available by uh, presenting uh, numerous expert opinions at the national and European levels. I think that's a contribution I can make. We have become multipliers, and I see myself in this role. And I appreciate that very much. I'm very critical also with respect to lawyers, and uh, I fought with Rainer for the um, for the uh, class action in Germany, but I do see that this is a big problem for 
um, lawyers in secondary interests. If you take a class action, you can collect tons of money. And then the question is what you do with it and whether you really do it or whether you just get the money from the people or really uh, start fighting with it. And it's not always that easy. I think if you do things like that, you have to know before what to do. How can I use the money? You have to test where really to get things done. And that's difficult. I think the class action will be a political target, where as a former politician, a member of the parliament, I wonder if we want to introduce a class action, how uh, does it have to be made safe that it doesn't uh, just depend on the money, but it also means that the people have to get their right. Um, that's uh, something that we're to fight against these big uh, corporates with the legal departments that the, the consumers have a chance to fight against these. And I have no, um, no idea on how to um, prevent misuse of class actions in Germany. And maybe that is something that we should have to look at in a special meeting. But in Europe, um, class action um, is not as developed as um, it is in Anglo-Saxon countries. In Europe, we should use pilot uh, cases, i.e. Uh, legal test cases. And um, in this field, I've been working more or less uh, free of charge. Um, I uh, developed a number of uh, lawsuits, uh, submitting them for on behalf of people who uh, don't have a job. And what do you want to charge people who don't have a huge paycheck and who have been out of a job for months and to uh, charge them money is very difficult. And as lawyers, we have the big problem that we have to um, evaluate ahead of time uh, what does it mean if we um, lose the case, um, if um, our uh, clients are um, held responsible for court cases. So I didn't um, take the time to evaluate that over the last two and a half years. I took uh, my spare time um, nights and um, holidays, maybe not so many nights because you have to sleep at some stage. But if uh, somebody had worked like I did, you couldn't have lived off it. But it, it was my own uh, urge. Um, I have two family members who work in the health service. So there is pressure as on us as human beings to cooperate to get us out of this madness. Well, I'm in a privileged uh, situation that I am retired as a former MP. I 
get my funds and I can open my mouth because of that and I'm privileged and this privilege obliges me to really speak out and step forward if I talk about the legal things that uh, uh, lawyers who live of that uh, who live of the fight uh, of people like doctors live of the disease of people that's a problem and this is something that we have to address. We have to search for solutions to minimize this problem and get good pay for people who good, good, do good work. That's fine. But I think it can't be prohibited to talk about this. It can't be prohibited to look for good solutions for this. This is what's important to me. Maybe I could phrase it that way. Well, I think we're all in an existential struggle, have been in this struggle for more than two years now. And for me, it's a 24-7 job where we all made our sacrifices. Um, I can't walk my dogs for hours like I used to. Um, of course, I uh, do justice to my dogs. My happy is to go. My cat is happy to go out alone. Maybe I uh, should switch to cats, but I think uh, having a dog is a different story. But anyway, the struggle continues, and I believe that we've made good progress. And Renata, I think what you do, we had uh, called one uh, session breathing down the neck. I think with your approach. We have uh, taken a good step uh, further in that direction, and it's a, a fight for people's minds as well. It's not like we can um, arm an army um, or even wanted to do that. It's a yeah. fight, fight for the hearts as well. Yes, it's a fight for uh, the hearts and minds of people. And with every uh, new uh, finding, and with all the uh, things that we do, uh, we uh, take a step forwards. We uh, throw another stone into the morphogenetic field. So I think we will be successful in the end. So thank you very much, Renata. We'll uh, stay in touch. You keep us posted also on other um, proceedings. Um, I would like to be uh, interested in the status of other uh, lawsuits. Uh, but let's talk about this at some other time because we have not get another guest now. And I think we're more or less in uh, on schedule, even though we started a bit late. And I'll continue in English you, um, now. With us, Vera Sharaf. She's been with us before, and she's a medical activist against reckless medical experiments for more than 20 years. She's the founder of the Alliance for Human Research Protection, and her website is the abbreviation of that is um, H. Um, ahrp.org so you can find her information there and um, she's also a holocaust uh, survivor of jewish descent and we are also excited to have with us uh, dr uwe alschner he's been also very involved in like um, speaking out and doing um, uh, adding to um, to a lot of things in the well, uh, the people uh, in the well, let's call it resistant movements. He's a uh, business consultant, and I'm excited to um, talk to you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great to see you. 
So we have you here with us today because you just um, participated in the recent event uh, in the memory of the Nuremberg trial that was on August 20th in Nuremberg. And you gave a speech there, which has been quite impressive. We um, maybe before we uh, start, I would like to show like some highlights of your speech there. If we could see that. Um, I came to Nuremberg to provide historical context to the current global threat confronting our civilization. Since the Nazi era, the study of history and most of the humanities, including philosophy, religion, and ethics, have been overshadowed by an emphasis on utilitarian science and technology. As a result, few people recognize foreboding similarities between current policies and those under the Nazi regime. By declaring a state of emergency in 1933 and 2020, constitutionally protected personal freedom, legal rights, and civil rights were swept aside. There will be no armed forces to rescue survivors. Be aware of that. No rescuers. Unless all of us resist, never again is now. Wow, these are moving words. Um, like, could you, um, you see a lot of perils, what has been um, going on in the, um, what, in the well Nazi times and what we see here now in the sense of what you what alerted you to the the you know that you have to speak out in the sense of that we must be aware that it's not going down that slippery slope that we are under like some health dictatorship or maybe could you elaborate on that well I've been talking about parallels for quite a while and if anything they are more prominent, they are, they are more foreboding. Uh, one of the uh, problems is that, you know, contrary to constitutional law, including Germany, uh, Article 5 of the Grundgesetz, which says every person shall have the right to freely express and disseminate his opinions in speech, writing, and pictures, and to inform himself without hindrance from generally accessible sources, freedom of the press and freedom of reporting by means of broadcasts and films shall be guaranteed. There shall be no censorship. Well, we are now totally under censorship, both scientific censorship, political censorship, ideas, history censorship, the censorship of our common history. All of this is being suppressed, and one has to ask why. Why is it being suppressed? Why is it that this, this, you know, I made this trip to Germany, which was very difficult. I had a lot of trepidations about it, uh, but I decided to do it and to face the people. What I can say is that the people responded much 
more favorably than I thought, because I brought a dark message and I thought that there would be pretty much silence, but there wasn't. The people do recognize that what is happening now is very, very ominous and they have to get out of it. Uh, now, I have been, uh, whether you know it or not, but a criminal complaint has been filed against me for my speech with the police. Now, I spent a week in Germany uh, and I visited Sophie Scholl's grave, but I was especially disturbed by the kind of heroic monument in Munich for Stepan Bandera. Mm -hmm. This is a mass murderer who collaborated with the Nazis very definitely. The history, again, history has a way of coming to the surface despite the efforts to rewrite it. What I'm wondering is why, why would Munich, why would he be given the kind of monument that is being used essentially by neo-Nazis as a place to honor? Why? Seems strange. What is, yes, exactly. It's very, very strange. And, you know, the, the, this last year where we've had the scare about uh, Ukraine, the war, this, again, this resurfaced the neo-Nazis in full view, but most of the press didn't mention it at all. The Azov Battalion is a neo-Nazi uh, battalion with all the Nazi regalia, the flags, the, the uh, cross, the, the everything. They never stopped. And they have made in Ukraine, Bandera and the others are heroes. In fact, the ambassador, Ukrainian ambassador visited Germany and stated that Bandera is a hero. They have a law that forbids anyone from questioning the heroism of these Nazi collaborators. So you see, history, instead of teaching people how to avoid another Holocaust, whoever the targets might be, and in Ukraine and some of these um, demonstrations, there is already, of course, the rise in anti-Semitism. How not? It's an easy known target. But I spoke to people in Nuremberg, to the people of the world, really, because it isn't, Jews are not the only ones who are now targeted, not at all. It's the entire human family. And I stress, and this is something that I wish people would really understand, 
we are one human family. And when those, this time it's electronically, this time it's digital weapons, this time it won't be bayonets. They're using bio, biological, biochemical, digital warfare. And we really need to have people wake up because we are at a precipice. If, if we do not resist by the millions, the entire human civilization is gone. That's what they have in mind. And it's very difficult for most people to comprehend that there are absolute evil people and they have somehow managed to take charge of governments across Europe, across the United States, Canada, Australia. This, is, this didn't quite happen under the Nazis, although they had, Hitler had his sights. Jews were just the first stage and then it was going to be the Poles and the Slavs and it went on and on, but he never got to his goal. Now things can happen rather fast. We have seen how governments for two and a half years have essentially held people in um, absolute, um, they crippled their ability to think. People have been so terrified of a virus and everything that has been ordered, every, every measure that was ordered by governments for us to do was opposite, opposite of improving our health or protecting our health, had nothing to do with health. Yeah, now, I mean, I, sorry, like, do it, uh, sorry. No, no, that's, you know, I mean, my message is plain and clear. I think we need to speak to the people Clearly, this is something I, again, the rhetoric, what kind of rhetoric we tell the people is very important. And I'm afraid that a good deal of the scientific community is very much wrapped up in details that really do not come across to people. We, those arguments need to be held, need to be done, but really not the people need to hear clear helpful ways to get out of this morass. And I really, look, everyone has a role to play, the, the legal arm. And of course, it's, I realize it's very, very slow and difficult. In the United States, we have had more successes with the judiciary. Uh, there are some, again, even judges are under influence. They're not out of space. It seems to me as though now there is a window because more and more people, especially, and I have to emphasize, I think the dam was a bit broken when the FDA gave its seal of approval to inject these experimental vaccines, so-called, into babies, the mamas said no. 
That is our hint. We can wake people up. We need to, the right approach. I think it's really important to point out also that, I mean, as we have done, like all together with the scientists for a long time now, these, uh, these, uh, you know, the, the growing amount of vaccine damages and injuries. And I think that is also an Achilles um, heel of the of the system, because that that's where it becomes really obvious. And I think what we can say, you know, I mean, uh, when we see what why Nuremberg is so important, because it was like a trial against like the uh, the, the doctor also who committed these horrible crimes, um, experimental, you know, doing medical experiments on people. And that is such a horrible thing. And like what, uh, um, what Renate Holzeisen just pointed out, we are now looking in this case, like, again, we're with experiment as an experimental new drug, which didn't undergo the, the, um, the, the scrutiny that it should have before hitting the market. And that is a thing, you know, that's why we have to look at the Nuremberg Codex that was developed after this horrible experience, where we said there can be no experiments on people. And now we see that this, um, you know, this iron, well, I mean, these these principles written seem to have been written in stone, basically, and now are trampled on, uh, you know, with the feet and not paying paid any attention to, uh, to anymore. And I think that's why, why it becomes really important to point out, um, you know, what happened in the past. We really must take that in consideration uh, to with the things that we do today. So I think it's very important that you make these references, and um, and I think they cannot be misunderstood as, as something else, because I think this this is really what I mean also, uh, you know, for my own family history, this is what I took also as a message, you know, when you see something that's not right, then point to it and um, make sure that everything that you can do so it doesn't happen again. Well, I think that the clamping down, the censorship all across uh, is really a sign of weakness. Why would you censor? That's a good point. You see, why would you censor? Why not argue? <laughs> but they don't ever want to come near arguing with anyone, not with scientists, not with uh professors of any kind or lay people, they do not want to go near an argument because they know that they really do not have a leg to stand on. The, the morals and the evidence are against them. And I stress morals first, because that is, that is what led society astray then and now. If you dis hard morals, then that's the end of a civilized society. Yeah, it's well, um, the door to, to hell, basically. That's right. It's the gates to hell. And, uh, and I think we're very far into that. I mean, the fact that a, a book like The Rise of the New <laughs> Normal Reich is banned. Why? Why is C.J. Hopkins' book banned? But the Ukraine propaganda and Bandera can be uh, made into heroes. What kind of what kind of society is that? And who is who is forcing Germany to be to give its 
its soil to this kind of, you know, to adulation. When you see that gravesite, you see this is a place where people come to pay their respect. So being a home to that, I think, is something people should ask. Germans should ask, why? It's more than, it's more than symbolic. Yeah. It's lending support, yeah. I mean, interestingly, when I was in Israel to set up the um, Israeli um, uh, outpost, basically, of the Corona Investigative Committee, you know, we met also with um, with um, people from Israelis who are um, the sons and daughters of um, Holocaust survivors. And and they're also, of course, critical toward the measures. And the way when they spoke out against the measures and pointed to like issues with democracy and uh, you know also the health uh, problems um, as, um, uh, that come with it, they were also um, you know um, attributed some sort of as if they were like Holocaust deniers. I mean, also in Israel, this is taking place. It's not a German phenomenon, but it's like, I mean, do you experience that or do you experience this now in, in Germany? And, um, or like that you, uh, you know, make it, that it's relative what happened there. I mean, it's not relative, it's, it's like, it's a singular and, and horrific event, obviously, what happened in the past. But um, we must draw our conclusions from what we saw back then. And it's interesting that it's just being, I mean, this is being used basically as a tool to uh, to show people, oh, this is a no-go zone. You know, if you say something here, you are like immediately uh, considered a Holocaust denier or whatever, okay. something terrible that you don't want to be. And then people are, this is a restricted road and you must not say anything. Don't look that way, basically. That's how I well, see when it. That, that gives you the clue that this is where it's at. You wouldn't put such uh, <laughs> chains around a historic fact uh, if, if you weren't afraid that something would come out that you don't want to deal with today. After all, what's then is then. The whole purpose of the Nuremberg Code was to make sure that future generations never go down that road again. It had already happened. And as Primo Levi, very soon after the war ended, said, it happened, therefore it can happen again. It can happen everywhere. And we're seeing the ingredients, the percolating ingredients, the poison that has overtaken, it's like, a, like a terrible blanket of poison that is, it's blurring people's vision. And they did it exactly in the same way the Nazis did with the constant propaganda, good, bad, good, bad. And you categorize things in that absolute way. And there's, there are no in between, you know? And people can just be, discarded as enemies of the states, right? Polluters of the genetic pool. All that, you know, was already prepared under the Nazis and now it's being, the science, the, the technology has really gotten away from all measures of um, reasonableness. 
it's if you can do it do it and it can be done to any child any person because they discard a lot of us as untamenshu they do they really do believe that they are superior you know superman you mentioned they do believe it people like klaus schwab absolutely and they want to live forever so they're doing all kinds of experiments not all of them do we really know fully about them it is a horror where it's the whole transhumanist agenda that we can see the as you mentioned the so if you are an untermensch then the other one is the homo deus the übermensch right. basically you know who creates the yeah. new new person like um, and I, I, that's a that's a very I find that a, a very problematic agenda because I think we are you know we are good the way that that nature or a creator or whoever like uh, you know made made us pe people to be and are human beings and I think this is our beauty and I think we are not supposed to interfere with that kind of thing at least like not in that the way in this experimental way that we're doing this now or like not we yes. but others are doing it um like what like in Nuremberg I think we have a uh, some um newspaper article it was like an event where like three thousand people um attended and there was a very small crowd like protesting um uh, like 150 or 250 people like uh, like saying that this is uh, you know not okay to uh, talk about the nuremberg codex in that sense um and you were then uh, later on uh, reported to the pol police, as you said, uh, like for Holocaust denying, um, you know, uh, well, I mean, what to say about that. Can we maybe see the article? Yeah, here. And uh, Uwe Eichner, uh, Uwe, could you maybe comment on what happened in Nuremberg? Because you attended this uh, important event as well. Yes, sure. Thank you. Um, uh, so the the issue was, of course, um, that if there is someone such as Vera Sharaf, who is a Holocaust survivor herself, who would have no interest whatsoever of trivializing or or um, uh, denigrating anything uh, concerned with um, the fate of her um, family, uh, even. So if this is the case. Um, and we have seen, as in Brussels in January, where Vera also spoke about her analogies and uh, how then the whole uh, rally in Brussels with several hundred thousands of people was disbanded before Vera could speak and address um, the crowds. Therefore, it was very, very clear that maybe something similar could happen in Nuremberg. And it was very symbolic for Vera to um, to speak on the issue, and it was also very hard, as she said, to come to Germany and speak there, but it was much more powerful. So therefore, uh, we, um, a group of, uh, of uh, organizations, Ärzte für Aufklärung and Team Menschenrechte in Nuremberg and many others, were really working hard to, to get this um, together, to make it happen and to minimize the risk of it being blown up. So therefore, it was not known to many people that Vera would be speaking and Vera spoke first basically 
on stage and she did delivered a very powerful speech which in many ways is also touching on what Dr. Vodak has uh, mentioned earlier about the corruption and the conflict of interests and the continuities um, uh, in, uh, during history. So therefore I encourage everyone to, to read uh, Vera's speech um, it is available on Erzsefer Aufklärung, it's available on my page. It is something which lays out very clearly uh, the concerns Vera has. So I, um, as a German, of course, I am very um, cautious. Uh, I've been brought up um, to be cautious about uh, going near relativization, relativization or, or, um, or trivializing something as um, as monstrous as the Holocaust. But I do understand that if someone like Vera says so, that it is encouragement for us and it is urging us to look at, uh, at what she's saying and to clearly analyze um, the facts. Now, we haven't been able to doing that because people have uh, have tried to prevent this by framing those who raise questions as right-wingers, as neo-Nazis, when in effect um, it might even be quite the other way. So this is uh, then the output um, of a Nuremberg paper, which incidentally is published at the address of where one of the most vicious Nazi uh, propagandist Julius Streicher published his um, hateful and insightful, um, inciting um, newspaper Der Stürmer. So Nürnberger Nachrichten, this paper is published at the same place where um, Streicher published um, The Stürmer. Therefore, this is, this is uh, I can't even call it ironic, it is really tragic that um, a, a newspaper which would have the responsibility, professional responsibility to, you know, to speak to someone like Vera Sharaf and ask her, how do you mean it? Where is your, where is your proof? What are the sources you have? Um, they, they didn't do any of that. Instead, they, they gave room to, um, to people who were really um, uh, um, insulting Vera in, in many, many ways. And even the paper itself went very close to something which I would call um, bordering on anti-Semitism by uh, portraying Vera as a Romanian, when in fact she is um, a US citizen, um, just happened to be born in Romania. Um, uh, and we all know that, for example, in Germany, at least um, Jews who were born after 1935, when the uh, race laws were passed, they were not even Germans, even though they were born in Germany. So therefore, this is absolutely horrendous to going there in the first place. Um, and this is done by a newspaper, and you have to ask why. So therefore, we are right over target uh, um, uh, with, with asking these questions. Vera is entitled to do so. And for people who uh, want to call this um, anti-Semitic or, or denigrating the Holocaust, I encourage everyone also to read the report to the president um, which was uh, uh, which was given by Elie Wiesel's commission um, on the Holocaust in uh, September of 1979, which is um, very uh, long ago, but it was very powerful. Elie Wiesel himself, an Auschwitz survivor, and his commission, they, uh, they Im implored um, the public, they implored the president to make it happen that uh, it, uh, that learning can be, uh, lessons can be drawn from, from this by also comparing um, uh, future events. 
Uh, so this is something which is uh, in no way anti-Semitic um, or relativizing the Holocaust. It is something which um, the Holocaust Commission itself has urged us to do. And it also recommended that people of moral integrity, and I wouldn't know of anyone better than uh, Vera Sharaf, herself a Holocaust survivor, to have the right to issue cries of desperation, um, that's the term which was in this, um, in this document, about similarities they see. So whether or not these similarities uh, actually are there, this needs to be uh, investigated. But as I said, I have good reason to assume that Vera has done a fair bit of investigation herself before going there in the first place. And if, if I see this um, reaction from the German press, I'm ashamed. I'm German myself. Um, uh, and I'm really, really uh, sorry uh, that this is something which had to happen um, to Vera Sharaf again. I think it's a very important statement, you know, like making reference again to what Wolfgang said before. It must be possible to be suspicious about what's going on and just to raise questions and even, you know, express a feeling that something uh, might be going in the wrong direction without being at risk of then being uh, accused of of uh, misusing the past for something i think that's what we what we what we should be able to do in a democracy you know like uh, learn from the past and point out to things to to developments that we find problematic and it's interesting that this is not possible. And I, th I thought it was also interesting that you see uh, that in the in the uh, article that we just saw, people. I think this was from the counter demonstration. The the picture, if I understood this correctly, and uh, they had this. Um, is that? Did I understand that? Gegen die Bundes so this seems to be like the Verdi group. Is that right? And that says health instead of profit. I mean, like you know when we look at what Wolfgang just told us, that we have a useless product with a lot of, um, you know, problems involved, health uh, risks. So it's it's basically, uh, well, it's mind-boggling what we see here as a statement. I was, I was more than 50 years members of Verdi, and I think my colleagues are just misused, politically misused. I don't think that those people working in hospitals, that they feel like that, that they feel that they are content what is done with them, that they have to be jabbed, that they have to be, have to all this pressure, that they have to wear a mask, although the wearing of masks in a hospital is long established only in special, special uh, situations, and that there is lots of scientific evidence, and that they are just, they, that they had to experience that the relatives could no longer come and visit their dying relative, their dying family members. It was so. It was really horrible what those people being employed in hospitals, in in places for old elderly people or handicapped people, what they had to experience in this time. And I thank you. I say thank you to all those who did not bow down, but who stood up and who are fighting for the rights of their of their profession and we're fighting for the rights of their patients and we're caring for their patients there are lots of them much more than we think you know i would add something i would question why is it that they insist that doctors and healthcare workers be jabbed mm -hmm. since we are the 
evidence is accumulating what these jabs are doing, particularly one after the other. Now, is it, is it conceivable that they want to actually eliminate much of the medical profession? You don't need to care for people that you don't care about. I think there is a situation we, that we have big concentration, monopolization of the health system. When you see that Google is preparing a health, uh, a health provider as a health provider, that Amazon is preparing to provide people, they are, those, they are, they are not organizations where there is solidarity practiced, where you are close to the next one, to your neighbor, to your to your to people you know, where you organize help among each other. And this is completely different than we we are a social state in Germany. We have in our constitution, Deutschland ist ein Sozialstaat. That means that we are very we are obliged to help each other and to organize this. And this is now all forgotten, there are big, big companies who take it over, who just destroy solidarity. And uh, we, you see this, we see, we see this with the, how they try to, to close down hospitals, which are smaller hospitals closer to the population. And they have arguments that they can do it better and that they have computers and the others don't have, and they, they digitalize. Well, what do I need digit, digitalization? I need my next neighbor who helps me and who stands at my bedside. I, I need the doctor who knows me and not someone from Google. So, and they destroy all this. And, and this is a very, very bad situation. They misuse to take over. They misuse all what is happening now for taking over the health system because they know it's a very, very big business. And if you can pe make people afraid from illnesses that you can say them, oh, you're endangered by some cancer or you're endangered by some monkeypox or whatever, then then you can have a new business. You can, you can treat them and you can offer them something and you can sell something. This is what they do. So it's this is- It's more than business. It's more than business. It's more than yeah. business. Controlling medicine is more than business. You I'm afraid control, you're right. You control who lives and who dies. You're it's right. So this is something which, again, some someone who, who may listen to this recording afterwards say, okay, here they are again um, uh, uh, giving out spreading conspiracy theories. For all those <laughs> who want to do this, they have to call Ali Wiesel and his commission also conspiracy theorists, as they would have to call um, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was quoted um, in Vera Schara's speech in Nuremberg, a conspiracy theorist, because they have uh, shown us already back then um, the um, viable threat, the real threat um, of uh, something um, monstrous happening um, to us by means of technology. So I'm quoting from Elie Wiesel's um, uh, commission's report where it says, not only has the moral landscape of human, of human reality been altered by the Holocaust, but the acceleration of technology now threaten human existence itself by focusing on the dangers inherent in the ends and means of a technological, bureaucratic society, 
study of the Holocaust and its implications can encourage a renewal of commitment to sanity and humanity. So this is an encouragement, encouragement to go there and look at it. Yes. And so there's the issue of profiteering, which you've mentioned, Dr. Bodak, but there is much more, which is the yes. legacy of know. eugenics, which also was um, mentioned by Vera in her speech. This is something which needs to be investigated, investigated on a legal, but also on a historical perspective. It has never been done. It has never you been know. done. We have no, heard from, from Vera that Bandera is buried in Munich. You ask why Bandera be buried in Munich? Munich was uh, the center of the German intelligence um, society um, set up by the American intelligence society after the war under the leadership of former Nazi generals. Okay, Reinhard Gehlen, the president of the Bundesnachrichtendienst, was a Nazi general until very late in the 1960s. He met with Hans Globke, Adenauer's Nazi chief of staff. And they were, this is all recorded, they were deliberating on personal um, uh, positions, which person will come there. Even the historic commission, Institut for Zeitgeschichte in Germany was, um, uh, was uh, put under leadership of former Nazi sympathizers instead of um, being put under leadership of, for example, communist um, um, uh, historians. So they made sure that only the right people were judging on what is historic truth and what is not truth. This is fact. We have to look at this. And no one has dared looking at this so far. And I'm extremely grateful to Vera Sharaf for stepping up and calling it out as it is. This needs to be done and it needs to happen now because it is very well possible that eugenic ideology is indeed trying to um, use technology which is far more sinister than anything uh, possible to uh, any decent uh, uh, doctor or, 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 or nurse or whatever. They are maybe up to far more um, something far more sinister, as also Dr. Mike Eden has um, has written about uh, just uh, recently. Um, so this is something where I'm really grateful to Vera Sharaf, and I'm um, I'm glad that I can um, help her in 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 doing our in doing this work. She i think she's it's very very important that we speak about this now i remember in in 1998 the german bundestag uh, there was a movement among parliamentarians critical parliamentarians who were critical because the bioscience the bioscience could do many things never be possible before so it's about stem, embryonic stem cells, harvesting from embryo stem cells. They wanted to make a pharmaceutic product out of that and such things. And we recognized it. And I proposed to have this enquete commission and I fought for it. And there, was, there were parliamentarians from all parties. And we gathered in this, in, at, at the Rhine River and we, we made a Bündnis für Menschenwürde. We had the churches, we had many people from Lebenshilfe, from organizations who were fighting against the slippery slope of technology. Yeah. And we were, we, would, we were making this enquete commission and it worked for seven years. We made reports. We were, we were parliamentarians from all parties and there were scientists and we were fighting a lot. And we were fighting to, to, to yes, that such things that there's no patent on life. Yeah. 
that it's not possible to harvest from embryonic cells, that at the end of life and at the beginning of life, there is no business that people are in their dignity and that they are assisted in their dignity. We had many good discussions and we had very, very good papers and very good scientists and hearings. This was all done by the German parliament. And they call it Sternstunde des Parlaments because all those decisions were made without parties. The parties could not interfere. I would, I would hope that we have in parliament such Sternstunde that those people are encouraged to speak up and to, to get rid of this pressure which is upon them. I really feel it, there is pressure from party leaders, from, from the media. They are all afraid. Who, as a, as a politician, now speaks up? He will be destroyed by public immediately. He will be, he'll be, he will be called a right-wing. Even if you're a socialist, you will be called a right-wing. And, and they will just try to, to, to kill you politically. And uh, I think they, those parliamentarians who, whom we entrusted our power, they have to stand up. We have, what can we do? Or we have to find some, we have to, we have to find some, without parliament, what can we do? We can go to the streets, but we need some, we need rules. And there is no other justice, there is no other court where we can go. There are only those courts who are institutionally corrupted now, who are under the pressure of politics. And it's, we, it's very difficult in Europe to find a court where they, where they free themselves from the pressure, where they say, yes, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good lawyer and, and I'm, I really try to find out what is true. And I make all this research I have to do to find, uh, to find out what is truth. And you know, a judge who does this, he, he will have difficulties. We experience this. And um, there are many judges and state attorneys who try to organize against this. And this is the organization of, of, uh, of those professionals. And they, I think they will, I have big hope in them. And I hope that uh, they will, yeah, they, they will try more and that they will have more success and we should, we should uh, help them to do this. Yeah, I think. Is there, uh, is there any way for, for jurists of different countries to get together? Because as I said before, I mean, in the United States, it's, it's still more possible to get through yes. to judge who's I think, I think the Christa people, the Netzwerk Kritische Richter und Staatsanwälte, that they are trying to have contacts to others. There used to be uh, uh, the, the Council of Europe, where I was as politician too, and there was, used to be the, the, and this Council of Europe was always living from the opposition. It was very interesting because the Parliamentary Assembly had not only the governing parties, not only the governments, but there were the oppositions. So if you wanted to table something, you were successful. You could table things which were prohibited in your own country. It was, uh, it was a very good possibility. And even in, when, when they started with this vaccination uh, topic, there were parliamentarians in the Council of Europe and they decided that nobody should be forced and put under pressure if he doesn't want this vaccine, this so-called. They decided it. And now I don't hear any more from them. Mm. 
that's that's the tragedy because the leadership in other words isn't leading the leadership is kind of waiting to be pushed so, yes. so, so this is this is also time to to point out uh, another striking um similarity now today policy decisions are being shaped by uh ngos uh and and uh foundations such as in germany the battlesman stiftung so the foundation which owns battlesman battlesman being by the way a company which uh, in the late 90s had the audacity to call itself a um a, a fighter of the nazi regime when in fact they were profiteering from it until the very end uh, with the biggest contracts uh, of uh, of uh, wehrmacht um uh, printing orders and uh, the only reason uh, why Bertelsmann was uh, getting problems is because they were cheating even on the Nazis, uh, so that's what they were. Uh, but they were publishing also in 1933 already um, uh, books on uh, euthanasia and, um, and, and other stuff which is clearly linked to Nazi ideology. So to say that they were against um, the Nazi regime is a blatant lie. I would call it a blatant lie. And, and this, is, this is a fact. And their foundation, which owns the shares of the, of, of the enterprise, they are shaping, as we know, pub, um, politics in Germany and, and in Europe. But Not these sure. foundations are, are all over the place and they have been there for a long time. They've been there at the beginning of the century. And in 1952 or 53, there has been a commission in the US Senate um, on those tax-exempt foundations and what they were about. This has never been really highlighted also, but those foundations have in their minutes from the early 1900s, have in their minutes their deliberations on how to change society by war and by education. And also the Bertelsmann Foundation in Germany is very strong on education and on infiltrating um, the educational system. These are the similarities we need to look at as uh, look at as a society if we want to continue as an open and liberal and educated uh, society. But we are um, about to to throw out the the, um, the baby with the bathtub um, by listening to the advice they are giving in all sorts of areas, even in healthcare, where they are calling for for privatization and for the influence of private corporations and and profiteering. Um, from from this not only profiteering um, but but uh, also so this is something we really need to look at as a society and and again this is uh, a, a deep great, uh, thank you to Vera Sharaf for for um, seizing the opportunity to speaking on behalf of all of us on the occasion of 75 years of Nuremberg Code which was one important milestone but it's not the only one and this debate has to continue. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, well, is there anything you would like to add, Vera? Just that people need to really, really understand that we are the many and numbers matter. Numbers right now matter a lot. And if people get together, forget their differences, you can argue later. Right now, we have common enemies. And those common enemies are making our lives miserable and they really intend to make it even more miserable. They intend to get rid of many of us. Population control is what 
the new medicine is focused on rather than healing and extending life. Well, okay. That's, that's, there isn't really much more to say because medicine was perverted then and it is being perverted now in very, very substantive ways. Yes. Okay. Like with these words, I think we've come to the end of our uh, session today. And But we have prepared a, um, a film of your um, important speech in Nuremberg. And we're going to show this now in the, like, right after I say the closing words. Um, well, you know, one of the things about all these different videos that many of us make, I mean, the more places that you put it, the better, because... YouTube, I just got word of another one that it pulled down. They're, they're, right, they're in a race to shut us up. And we have to show that we're not going to be shut up. So I think one of the things, one of the positive things that has happened in these two and a half years is there are more internet outlets that people can get credible information on that aren't muzzling than ever before. So while they deplatform us from the major ones, YouTube, Google, and all that, there are others. And the more of those others, they start to multiply as well. So we have to outsmart them in whatever way we can. <laughs> it's not over until it's over. Okay, that's another thing. <laughs> and we've got to make sure that we... You know, when, because there, there is, I've stressed, you know, those of us who lived through the Holocaust were rescued. There will be no rescuers now. There are no armed forces who would rescue. It's, we have to do it ourselves or it's over. Yeah, so we're all the cavalry. Yeah, <laughs> we no, have to that's right. really like get a, get off the sofa and uh, start exactly. to start to fight with everything with that we have with words and with well with all our might. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if we can like in the stream show the um, the video now. Otherwise, we're going to post it on Telegram. Um, uh, maybe I don't know if I could get some input from the regie. <laughs> Okay, so I hear we have it and we can show it like within the stream so people don't have to switch to another uh, channel. So that's great. Okay, yeah, thanks so much for all these uh, important information. I think we've added another piece of the puzzle and like have added like uh, more food for thought and for people like to, to get activated. And yeah, thanks everyone for contributing to this uh, seeing like a even um you know like even fuller picture again and um so yeah you can see the video now and i'm looking forward to the next week then have a pleasant um uh, friday afternoon and a nice weekend and yeah see you next week then bye all the best to you thank you bye bye, bye, -bye. I came to Nuremberg to provide historical context
to the current global threat confronting our civilization. These past two years and a half have been especially stressful as painful memories were rekindled. In 1941, I was three and a half years old. My family was forced from our home in Romania to Ukraine. We were herded into a concentration camp, essentially left to starve. But death was everywhere. Death was the cloud above us. My father died at the camp of typhus, an infectious disease that was rampant in all the concentration camps and ghettos for lack of any sanitary conditions. In 1944, as the final solution was being aggressively implemented, Romania dislodged from its alliance with Nazi Germany, and the government allowed several hundred orphan Jewish children to return to Romania if they had a relative there. Although I was not an orphan, my mother lied to save my life. I boarded a cattle car train, the very same train that continued to bring Jews to the death camps. Four years elapsed before I was reunited with my mother. The Holocaust serves as an archetypal symbol of unmitigated evil. Moral norms and human values were systematically obliterated. The Nazi system destroyed social conscience. Millions of people were worked to death as slave laborers. Others were abused in experimental, as experimental human guinea pigs. The Holocaust did not begin in the gas chambers of Auschwitz or Treblinka. The Holocaust was preceded by nine years of incremental restrictions and on personal freedom and the suspension of legal rights civil rights, and essentially human rights. The stage was set by fear-mongering and hate-mongering propaganda, a series of humiliating discriminatory government edicts demonized Jews as spreaders of disease. We were compared to lice. The real viral disease that infected Nazi Germany was eugenics. Eugenics is the elitist ideology at the root of all genocides. Eugenics is cloaked 
in the mantle of pseudoscience. It was embraced by the academic, the medical establishment, as well as the judiciary, both in Germany and the United States. Eugenicists justify social and economic inequality. They legitimize discrimination, apartheid, sterilization, euthanasia, and genocide. The Nazis called it ethnic cleansing to protect the gene pool. Medicine was perverted from its healing mission and was weaponized. First, it was to control reproduction through forced sterilization. And then, mm. and then it was to eliminate those deemed to be subhuman, untermenschen. The first victims of medical murder were 1,000 German infants and toddlers under the age of three. The murderous operation was expanded to an estimated 10,000 children, German children, under the age of 17. The next victims were the mentally ill, followed by the elderly in nursing homes. All of these human beings were condemned as worthless eaters. Under Operation T4, designated hospitals were turned into killing centers where various extermination methods were tested, including Zyklon B, the gas that was used in the gas chambers. The objective of the final solution was the annihilation of the entire European Jewish population, which at the time was 11 million. The Nazis enacted discriminatory laws. They utilized modern technology, low-cost industrial methods, and efficient transportation system, and a highly trained bureaucracy that coordinated the industrial genocidal process. The objective was high speed, maximum efficiency, and low cost. The human casualties of this unprecedented genocide were six million Jews and nine million other people whom the dehumanized as untermen. The purpose of Holocaust memorials is to warn and inform future generations about how an enlightened, civilized society can be transformed into a genocidal universe ruled by absolute moral depravity. If we are to avert another Holocaust, we must identify ominous 
current parallels before they poisoned the fabric of society. Since the Nazi era, the study of history and most of the humanities, including philosophy, religion, and ethics, have been overshadowed by an emphasis on utilitarian science and technology. As a result, few people recognize foreboding similarities between current policies and those under the Nazi regime. By declaring a state of emergency in 1933 and 2020, constitutionally protected personal freedom, legal rights, and civil rights were swept aside. Repressive discriminatory decrees followed. In 1933, the primary target of discrimination were Jews. Today, the target is people who refuse to be injected with experimental, genetically engineered so-called vaccines. Then and now, government dictates were crafted to eliminate segments of the population. In 2020, government dictates forbade hospitals from treating the elderly in nursing homes. The result was mass murder. <laughs> government decrees today continue to forbid doctors to prescribe life-saving, fully approved FDA medicines they must follow government-dictated protocols, and those continue to kill. The media is silent as it was then. The media broadcasts a single government-dictated narrative just as it had under the Nazis. State censorship silences opposing views. In Nazi Germany, few individuals objected. Those that did were sent to concentration camps. Today, doctors and scientists who challenge the approved narrative are maligned and their reputations are trashed. They risk losing their license to practice as well as having their homes and workplaces raided by SWAT teams. The most significant the moral significance of the Nuremberg Code cannot be overstated. The Nuremberg Code is the most authoritative, internationally recognized document in the history of medical ethics.
This landmark document was formulated in response to the evidence of medical atrocities committed by Nazi physicians and scientists. The code sets forth moral boundaries of research involving human beings. The Nuremberg Code rejects the ideology of eugenics and unquestionably asserts the primacy and dignity of the individual human being. The primacy of the individual as opposed to the greater good of the state or society. I always have trouble, thank you. I always have trouble with technology, so please. Uh, it went a little bit too big. Okay. Now, let's see. Sorry. Um, okay. It went its own way. Okay. The American jurists who formulated the Nuremberg Code incorporated the official 1931 German guidelines for human experimentation. They were authored by Dr. Julius Moses. Now the guidelines remained legally in force until 1945, but of course the Nazis completely disregarded them and they deported Dr. Moses to Theresienstadt where he died. The Nuremberg Code defined foundational, universal, moral, and legal standards affirming the fundamental human rights. The human rights apply to every human being, every race, creed, and color. It makes no difference. We are one human family. Equally important, the Nuremberg Code holds doctors and research investigators personally responsible to ensure the human subject's safety and to ensure that the person freely gave his voluntary, fully informed consent. The standards of the Nuremberg Code are incorporated into the International Criminal Code. They are legally applicable today in peacetime and during war. The objective of the Nuremberg Code is to ensure that medicine never again deviates from its ethical precautionary principle, first do no harm. The Nuremberg Code has served as a blueprint for subsequent national and international codes of human rights to ensure that the rights and dignity of the humans are upheld and to ensure that medical doctors never again engage in morally abhorrent experiments.
Like the Ten Commandments, not a word of the Nuremberg Code may be changed. The first of the ten ethical principles lays down the foremost ethical requirement, which is spelled out in great detail, and I'll read it. The voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, constraint, or coercion, and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. This requires that before the acceptance of an affirmative decision, uh, it got stuck again, sorry. Okay. 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 The subject should be informed of the nature, duration, and purpose of the experiment, the method, and the means by which it is to be conducted. All inconveniences and hazards reasonably to be expected and the effects upon his health or person which may possibly come from his participation in the experiment. Were any of you told about all this when you were offered the injections, the experimental injections? I doubt it. Now the duty and responsibility for ascertaining the quality of the consent rests upon each individual who initiates, directs, engages in the experiment. It is their personal responsibility which may not be delegated to another with impunity. The genocidal culture that permeated the Nazi regime did not end in 1945. It metastasized in the United States. At the end of the war, U.S. government agents helped 1,600 high-ranking Nazi scientists, doctors, and engineers to evade justice at Nuremberg. These Nazi technocrats facilitated the murderous Nazi operations. They were Hitler's partners in crimes against humanity. They were secretly smuggled into the United States under Operation Paperclip. And this was done in violation of an explicit order by President Harry Truman. These Nazi criminals were placed in high positions at major American scientific 
uh, centers as well as medical centers, and they continued their work. What's more, these Nazi technocrats trained a generation of American scientists, doctors, and engineers. This is how Nazi methods and the immoral disregard for human values were entrenched in America. In 1961, in his farewell address to the nation, President Dwight D. Eisenhower warned against the increasing domination of the military-industrial complex, whose total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, he said, is felt everywhere. Eisenhower warned, we must be alert to the danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. This is who is behind the COVID pandemic. In 1979, a report to the President of the United States by the U.S. Commission on the Holocaust, chaired by Auschwitz survivor Elie Wiesel, warned, the inclination to duplicate the Nazi option and once again exterminate millions of people remains a hideous threat. Those who declare that Holocaust analogies are off-limits are betraying the victims of the Holocaust by denying the relevance of the Holocaust. The Nuremberg Code has served as the foundation for ethical clinical research since its publication 75 years ago. The COVID pandemic is being exploited as an opportunity to overturn the moral and legal parameters laid down by the Nuremberg Code. The Nuremberg Code is our defense against abusive experimentation. Humanity is currently under siege by the global heirs to the Nazis, a posse of ruthless, interconnected global billionaires has gained control over national and international policy-setting institutions. They have embarked on implementing a diabolical agenda, which includes the overthrow of democracy and Western civilization, to depopulate the global population, to eliminate nation states and establish one world government, to eliminate cash and establish one digital currency, to inject digital IDs and artificial intelligence capabilities into every human being. If these objectives become a reality, 
We will be digitally surveyed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In May 2022, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Klaus Schwab, the architect of the dystopian Great Reset, declared, and I quote him, let's be clear, the future is not just happening, the future is built by us, a powerful community here in this room. We have the means to impose the state of the world. The ultimate goal of these megalomaniacs is to gain total control of the natural resources, the financial resources, and to replace humans with transhuman robots. Transhumanism is a biotech-enhanced caste system, the new eugenics. Klaus Schwab's lead advisor is Yuval Noah Harari, an Oxford University-trained Israeli. Harari is a proponent of the new eugenics and transhumanism. Harari refers to humans as hackable animals. He declared, we have the technology to hack humans on a massive scale. Transhumanists despise the concept of God. Transhumanists despise human values and deny the existence of a human soul. Harari declares that there are too many useless people. Remember the Nazi term was worthless eaters. This is the new eugenics. It is embraced by the most powerful global billionaire technocrats who gather in Davos, big tech, big pharma, the financial oligarchs, academics, government leaders, and the military industrial complex. These megalomaniacs have paved the road to another Holocaust. This time, the threat of genocide is This time, instead of Zyklon B gas, the weapons of mass destruction are genetically engineered injectors. Masquerading as vaccines. There will be no armed force to rescue survivors. Be aware of that. No rescuers. Unless all of us resist, never again is now.
Thank you for inviting me and thank you for your patience.